Halacha Gimel Perek Sheni of Avodah Hilchot Avodah Zara and the Rambam. I get. Uh, I don't. They brought the guy from like somewhere else in. Like they're importing, you know, somebody I thought he was going to be good. I don't know. I'm, I don't mind that reading. I enjoy listening to a good reading. Wait, wait. The, what are we up to? Tell everybody. Shall we? Shall we? Which uh, Lavin are we talking about? You tell me. It's sure to read the books. Well, the mitzvah is is shelol lifnot achar avodazara. Right? Yeah, it's just bad Hebrew. Yifne, it should be. It's yifne. It says yifne. See, I don't know. They traded this beautiful Ramban for that one for Ramban. This is a nice looking book. Anything that's not makbili is not going to be perfect. But that is makbili. It's not. Oh, what is that? Oh, that's Steinzeit. I thought that was makbili. What is it? But, but it looks very pretty. Yipane means anybody who doesn't go to the bathroom. Oh, shelo yipane. Yeah, that's that's. It should be yipane. You don't go to the bathroom on tour. It's talking about balpar. It's just, just that one. Okay. It really says yipane. Yeah. I mean, unless I'm lying, I'm saying yipane. Because yipane means to like to relieve yourself. Like that's like the, it's like a clean way of saying go to the bathroom. Okay, so these are the le- this second paragraph. The first paragraph was tracing the evolution of Abu Dazarah, right, and the emergence of Abraham Avinu, and then the uh, and then basically the decline of Am Yisrael in Mitzrayim, and then Moshe Rabbeinu who came as a divine instrument to restore the Chud Hashem, and and the and what we said at the end of that paragraph was that why is it why what is the pur- purpose of that to illustrate? how tenuous the attachment is to the idea of Yichud Hashem, no matter how many generations it developed over, no matter how many books were written, no matter how much emphasis was placed on developing it, it was still a very tenuous attachment and it was almost extinguished. Just in a matter of a a short time, it was almost extinguished completely. And so therefore the Torah is going to have, not just to teach us derech avodato shel HaKadosh Baruch but also to teach us the, the, the nature of avodah Zorah so we can understand it and stay away from it. But in order to do that, you have to recognize how pernicious it is because most people have this very surface view of Avodah Zohar that, oh, it's bowing to statues. Well, obviously I'm not going to do that. But it's not that. It's not really that. We saw what it is. It's a way of relating to God that tries to to um, reduce God to a conception that we are comfortable with, to a conception that it fits into our worldview rather than realizing that God is transcendent and beyond our worldview. Anything that places him in that framework is Avodah Zorah, so that can be a lot more subtle. So Shelolif Notachar Avodah Zorah is engaging in activities that cause our mind to gravitate to Avodah Zorah, which makes sense if you realize that Avodah Zorah is essentially a way of thinking. It's a way of relating to God. It's not an action. It expresses itself in action. Right? But it's essentially a derech of Avodah of Hashem, which is Avodah Zorah, which is the wrong way. It's a way that takes me away from God instead of bringing me closer to God. And that means instead of lifting me up to a more abstract, transcendent, spiritual, so to speak, idea of God, 
I'm instead pulling God down into an orbit where I can relate to him on my own terms. Whether that means him himself or it means creating some intermediary or something like that, which will eventually, as we saw, eclipse God anyway and substitute for God. Right, so, so the reading of the books means, uh, you know, out of curiosity, that was what we said yesterday, right? Any of these things are allowing the Avodah to work on me, to work on my mind by reading a book. Reading a book means you become an audience for the book, right? You're not... You're, you're allowing the book to affect you. Like you go to watch a movie or you go to read a book, it's, it is shaping your thinking. It's affecting you. So once you realize how attractive Avodah Zarah is, what it really is, it's not bowing to a statue that's not very attractive. It's a way of relating to God that is more psychologically comfortable for people. So it's going to naturally appeal to me more to be able to translate God into my terms. So when I start reading books and say, hey, that really makes sense, you know, that's really an, an idea that appeals to me. We don't realize that it appeals to us for the wrong reasons. It appeals to you for psychological reasons. It doesn't appeal to you because it's for intellectual reasons. And even staring at it, even looking at it, and being impressed by it and being drawn to it, you start rationalizing or you start, you know, you start speculating about, you know, maybe there could be a way to tie this in. You know, why can't we have uh, certain statues? Not to be God, but maybe if the synagogue had like nice statues that you you would walk in, you'd be inspired. You know, you would start to, right, it puts you in a better state. It's very inspiring, you know, beautiful art. Not to worship the art, just put it in front so uh, when we see it, we think about God. You know, or like, you know, they, they put the big picture of the Rebbe, like they do, you know, in the front. Just to think about the holiness of the Rebbe so we can aspire to be like him. Not because we're worshiping him. You know, but eventually that's what it becomes. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Such a good phrase. So What's the, what's the idea here? Not only Avodah Zarah, in other words, Abu, what is he saying to you? He's saying that Avodah Zarah is just one example of an array of wrong ways of thinking. Right? So therefore, any, anything that, that leads you to, uh, to undermine, right? Lakor, Ikar meikarei Torah, to undermine one of the Ikarim. And Ikar is the root in the ground. But interestingly, like, like there are many uh, words in Hebrew where like yashrish can mean to uproot, even though a shoresh is a root, right? To root actually means to uproot. La'akor actually doesn't mean to make a, uh, a, 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 a but it means to uproot it, right? La'akor, right? So, so it's to uproot this uh, principle. So anything that uproots the principle, you shouldn't think about it. So that's weird. It's like mind control. It sounds like... Uh, yeah, sounds like wokeism or something. You're not allowed to think about certain things. What are you no, going to do about that, Rabbi? No, but saying don't think about leftism. Right. <laughs> that's what it's trying to say. But, but that's not an attractive system of thought, it's not. It's okay. There's no such thing as 
even thinking about it. This is not a thought. Yeah, he, well, not a veraid. That's that's separate. That's like more about East, that's an Israeli veraid. Yeah, about that. It's more. Something ideas the same. Why? That's in the thought. Right. Even the thought is Israel. Yeah. There, the thought is Israel because it's going to bring you to do it. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, for, yeah, that is part of it. That's part of it. When you are, I think the main thing is he's saying it, he gives a reason for it. Right, he's saying you're, you're not supposed to lalota libenu. What does lalota libenu mean? Versus belon He says two things. He says lo lalota libenu belon nasiach datenu lekach benachshov benemashech achar yirurayalem. Okay, so he said one thing is. On a sentimental level, like la lota libenu just means to to entertain the entertain it, and then you start allowing your thoughts to follow this initial speculation that popped up in your mind. You know, you start to allow He doesn't say because we're thought police and we don't want you to think about ideas that we don't agree with. Uh, that, that's what it sounds like. A person will read that and say, uh, "You're controlling our thoughts. You, you, you don't want us to be able to think about anything else. You, you think that's you're totalitarian." Left, you think that's what the left is saying? We want to control your thoughts, or they, they frame it under the same idea? I don't think everything here co- corresponds with leftists. I mean, maybe some things. Well, they're they're anti-Torah. They represent, like you know, the Ramban. It reminds me of the Ramban because the Ramban says in the in the disputation in the Mamar of Ikuach, he says to the to the king, he says, you don't really believe in the Trinity. He says, you say you believe, but you can't believe something that's not an idea. Like, it's not even a coherent idea, so how can you believe it? You can't, right, you can't, three is one and one is three is not a coherent idea. How could you, so you can't even really believe it because it's not a real idea. That's like what you're saying about Wolken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Ramban, the it's not a, it's not a real idea. He's saying because it's con- one bit, that that you have to ask the he's the expert on that. I, I don't know. So, but then I also don't think that's a good argument. Hmm? Is, is it a real idea to believe in a god? So you can't even think about it. So think I can form the idea in my mind that the universe has a source. A creator. A creator, that's all. Yeah, but can you think about an indivisible one? I can think about something unlike anything that I experience in this world. That's all. I'm not saying what it is. They're saying one is three and three is one. I know what a three is. A three is the, you know, it's three shekel and one. Right? It's not like a, uh, and I know that they can't be the same. What if it's a mind? That's exactly what they say. It wasn't the Pope, it was some like former no, Jewish. Uh, no, I'm saying not politician. Well, because it's a mystery and it defies logic. It's okay. No, I'm saying, remember the Pope you said was very intellectual and he gave you a definition for Christianity? He'll say that's one of the mysteries. We don't have an explanation. You can't really, it's impossible to. Just like we say we can't understand God, they can't understand God. They can't can't understand understand God either, but first they decided he was three. (laughs) (laughs) He's three, oh, we can't understand. But we don't understand. (laughs) Ketzad. Yeah, I was going to go back to it anyway a little bit. It seems like... 
it's very similar to the danger in studying the studying the Abu in that the Torah requires a level of elevated thought, which is not Muvan Me'elah, which is like an uphill battle. Right. Any any thoughts that go against the of the Torah are typically easier for humans to, to fall for than the more elevated Ikari of so, when you let every person just, yeah, free will, free will, like, really, really, like, think or engage in, in open-minded thought about all these things, on average, you're going to have people falling for them more than recognizing their futility. Right. And then, when you, and then all of a sudden, you build the mentality that is based completely on human-centric thought, that's of the lowest, you know, the common denominator, which is ultimately going to lead to chaos and human destruction. Right. And, like, it seems like that's... Like, that's, he's being very precise. Yeah, he's, he's saying the reason isn't because there's something wrong with thinking. There, there's nothing you can't think about if you have the right tools to think about it correctly. It's just that most people don't have the right tools to think about it correctly. And most of what passes for thinking isn't actually thinking. Like, most of what passes for thinking is just sort of musing about something in an unstructured non-methodic, non-rigorous way. Yeah, he's saying that the person doesn't have the midot shiadun bayin. He's just musing, you know, what kind of makes more sense to me? You know, it's like the same way we decide, what should we have for lunch? Shawarma or pizza? Well, you know, when I think of the shawarma, it's kind of this, and I think of the pizza, the, uh, pizza. You know, it's like, it's not really a, a, a rigorous thought process because he doesn't, he isn't trained to analyze this kind of subject matter in a proper objective way. He's just subjectively feeling out which idea appeals to him. And like Rabbi John said, when you're going with intuition, unless you're a great chacham, that your intuition is shaped by the Torah and is shaped by real, uh, real thought, your intuition is mainly emotion. So what idea is going to appeal to you is always going to be the idea that's the most psychologically satisfying idea whether you know it or not. And therefore, like the guy that I told you about, like the Thomas Nagel that we uh, talked about, it might have been on the first day, you might not have been here yet, some of you, but we, so the, the idea where he writes the whole book, Mind and Cosmos, that, be, that the universe is ordered towards mind. Look at how the universe is intelligible, and it produces creatures capable of abstract thought, and no materialistic understanding of the world, even evolution that can explain, let's say, certain things of animals evolving into other animals, can explain why a human being with a capacity for abstract thought would emerge, because it doesn't have a survival value, right? an immediate survival value. Right? And, and therefore, it looks like the universe was designed, is trending towards, is, is, has a purpose to foster mind and thoughts. That's what he said. He said, but only one thing. There's no God. Yeah. Right? That's what I was saying. Right? Meaning, he said, I believe that the universe has a purpose, but no creator. He's like, I know that doesn't seem to make sense. He, said, he says in the book, you should read this book because it's just funny. It's a good book up to this point. He's like, I know that doesn't make any sense to say that there's a purpose without a designer behind it, right? Normally wouldn't have a purpose without someone designing it. But I have to believe that this is the case because I see there's a purpose and I can't accept that there's a God. It's like, I'm not ready to accept that there's a God, so I believe there's a purpose. The purpose is to actualize mind, intelligibility and mind in the world, which is what we see does happen. The highest creatures are able to access the secrets of the universe intellectually. This is what happened, but there's no God. 
I'll be completely logical up until I'm completely logical, and then I make right okay. until I can't accept. Right. Where, where, he, what did he do? What did he do? He mused about and felt intuitively which model of explaining the universe worked for him, and he came down on the side that no God. So therefore, even when it required intellectual acrobatics and gymnastics in order to justify, it, he took. Them. I don't even think his, started his analysis writing the book. of the world is right. Yeah, because that's the problem. It, it actually works the opposite way. Yeah. the world is constantly trying to diminish human thought. But no, he's not talking about people. He's talking about the nature. Right, but. but the world trends towards humans, humans. towards human humanity trends towards their animal nature more right. naturally than right. 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 Nature, right. nature trends towards the mind. Right. Meaning nature is designed and geared to bring about awareness of higher ideas, even though human culture is designed to human instinct doesn't right. trend. Nature doesn't. is showing you design. Right. Nature is showing you design and gave you the tools to be able to understand it, which is amazing. That's what he's saying. He's saying it doesn't okay. seem doesn't seem explicable without a but purpose, not, without a He's saying, like a he's saying like a conscious purpose had to be involved in it. He's saying that nature is there to cultivate human mind. But in fact, nature trends in the opposite direction. I mean, human nature. Human nature. I mean, he wasn't talking about that. He meant the, he meant the universe. He's saying the universe being intelligible, the fact that it's organized intelligibly, the fact that man has the ability to comprehend it, this doesn't make sense according to accidents of, of material accidents that that happened. He's like, therefore, there's clearly a per- it streamlines towards a purpose of bringing ideas out and bringing people to, that can see the ideas. Except okay. nobody did. It, it, just, it just seems like he started, like, he started writing the book with the conclusion in mind. I'm going to conclude that there's no God. And then he got to the conclusion that there's a God, and he said, but there's no God. Right. It, it's, it reminds me of the same thing as Einstein that we talked about also. That he that relativity shows that there was a Big Bang in the beginning of creation, but uh, I'm going to work it that it doesn't say that. And then when he tried to do that, it became a nonsense. It, it, it didn't work. No, but there's, it almost sounds but, like he's yeah. saying you place human human being in nature and they will come to no, the I don't think he meant, meant that he meant the that tools he meant the tool. no you're right you're, that's you, what Brashid is about yeah, you keep Brashid focusing on about, the human being right the, Brashid is about the universe is amazing and we can look at it and human beings have the ability to uh, to hear, see the good and eat the, the tov that Hashem put in there but instead they pick their own tov and they make up their that's what you're talking about which is 100% true he was just saying the very fact that we have a mind that can even access those ideas doesn't make sense according to materialist uh, evolution, right? So, so he's like, but the only thing is there's no God. So like, that's an example of somebody who's letting their emotional intuition masquerade as an intellectual intuition. And that's the fact for most people. Look at all the debates on, uh, forget about uh, wokeism versus that. Even just any debates that you see about hot time, about ethics, morality, about the war, about anything. People are mainly emoting and then they are, they are, even the people that we agree with a lot of the times are just expressing certain feelings and then formulating, masquerading, like structuring, expressing those feelings in intellectual arguments. But at the core, it's not somebody who sat down and objectively said, let's really analyze what are our objective principles here? What are the objective facts? Let's really logically reason using formal logical procedure that one, one of these days we'll learn, we'll learn the Ramchal logic, right? Formal logical procedure, how do you dissect this problem and come up with an answer? Nobody's doing it. It's always, I have a feeling, uh, I feel bad for the children that are dying. I, I have a feeling, you know, Zionism is great and Israel is, it has to do whatever, you know, has to take the greater Israel. You know, it's a, it's a feeling that nobody sat down and really an- analyzed it. Very few people. Okay? So that's the Rambam is saying when it comes to sensitive topics. And remember, the nature of the Ikarim, 
the nature of all of the Yisodot of the Torah, the nature of Yichud Hashem, is not natural to us psychologically. It's counter, it's counter our psychological makeup because it's requiring us to think abstractly and to think beyond what is psychologically comfortable for us. It's going to challenge us. If that's the case, then if we're going with our intuition, naturally, our intuition is going to lead us in a direction that is contrary. That's why it says, Because everything in the world, if we start going with our emotional intuition and our, our uh, you know, what appeals to us psychologically, then the whole framework of the rational world you know, the organized world is going to fall. Because we're going to say, you know what, I feel really bad for disadvantaged people. Let's put incompetence in charge of, uh, in charge of things because they're from disadvantaged groups. You know, well, let's, make, let's make the head of engineering somebody who's from a disadvantaged group, even though they don't know anything about engineering. Let's make the vice president a black woman. <laughs> What, what well, I don't know if she's not qualified. Black woman is not the problem. Right. Unqualified. Unqualified is the problem. Right. Yeah. Who can't get out a, a regular sentence without laughing. Or the, or the president of Harvard. <laughs> highly qualified. She's very good at plagiarizing other people's stuff. How do you Look how long she got away with it. Very good at acting smart. How do you apply this to Like... You want, if you just allow complete free thought, let, let your kids explore whatever they want in a genuine way, they're probably going to drop to the lowest common denominator of thought. They're not going to get too elevated. So you have to train them first in the realm of Torah and in Prabhupada before allowing them to explore these things from the Mabat of... Uh, right, before they're ready to go into this, inqu- like this type of inquiries, they have to have the tools. Uh, and what are those tools? Right, so he's, that's what he says here. He says that, um, he says that first of all, not every subject is accessible to every person. Uh-huh. And that's one of the things in the Moran of Bukhim that the Rambam says a lot. Not every topic is going to be accessible to every mind. It's gonna, some of them are going to be beyond. Number one. And, and and then he says that the person doesn't know it's interesting what he gives us the examples right he says he'll think about he'll think about okay even many great people fell into the trap of equating God to his creatures like we said not just uh, not just Dor Enosh even many great thinkers couldn't resist using analogies to describe God based on uh, human experience. So when can I allow my child to start thinking without... What do I do to prepare them for this kind of thought in a way that won't become... That won't... That they'll be capable of thinking? Well, that's a long process. And, and then... Well, but let's first see what he says are the issues. Malimala, malimata. What is above and below? What does that mean? Yeah, what's beyond the, like what's beyond the edge of the universe? Have you ever tried to wonder that, and then you can't really because, by definition, you don't have a framework, right? What's before time started and what's after? But these are the things in Masechet Chagiga that it says in the Mishnah Indoor that you're not supposed to think about, right? These are the things you're not supposed to investigate. So what's before time and after time? Why can't I think about those things? No frame of reference for me, right? I don't have a reference. So, you're good at you're good. so, so the first thing is the first thing is Abu says I don't have a frame of reference to understand God. 
Okay? Meaning, if I, I'm going to try to define God or explain or describe God in a way that's comfortable for me, then male, 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 mata, what is above, below, before, after, I'm going to try to explain uh, topics in physics, basically, he's talking about in that case, right? That are beyond my ability to understand. What does before time even mean? Right? What does it mean for there to be a void, a, a nothing? What does it mean for the, you know, these things are, I, I can delude myself into believing that I actually understand something about this. I would have to delude myself into believing. Right? It's not possible for me to, so I would have to end up, in order to get out of the problem that it's bewildering to think about that, that there was a before time, or that there was an after time, or that there's a beyond the edge of the universe, that the universe has boundaries, let's say, right, as it would say today. So some of the physicists try to get out of that by saying, no, it's actually not bounded, it's actually, you know, they, they try to figure out a way to get around it, but that just proves the Rambam's point which is that they'll try to engage in some kind of intellectual acrobatics or they'll have the multiverse, you know? They'll try to, in, to get out of the problem of the limits of the human, uh, human uh, mind because it's psychologically disturbing. I need something that is psychologically satisfying. It's not psychologically satisfying to say, I just can't know That's why behind I was talking about the multiverse. Universe. You just put it into words. Wow. Exactly how you explain it. This is a stupid idea. But the, the idea is, because I can't understand it, I'm just going to make up some other, lo- some other like, alternative logic. Or the unbounded universe like Stephen Hawking had. These are all, by the way, intimately connected with the first thing, because both multiverse and the unbounded universe of Stephen Hawking, they're all attempts to avoid God. Right? Like, why is the multiverse, why is the multiverse appealing to, towards not? Because... Because the, the point is that our universe is too perfectly organized. It's too perfectly uh, lawful. It's too intelligible. So it comes from a mind. Yeah, but they're actually in... Right. They're actually in... in right. That's, you know, that's where the rationality... Right, the the scientists might want that. So now let's hypothesize why we see order. Right. So they're saying an infinite number of universes exist. So obviously one of them is going to be law and order. You know, we just happen to be that one. That's... that's Right, so they literally are invest, inventing a stuyot concept, imagine, imagining a concept out of nowhere in order to make themselves feel better that they don't have to believe in a God. So in order to get around the trying to say like that's what I said. Like, you're, you're imagining that there's a God in order to explain this order, but that doesn't make sense. So we're just going to imagine something different. We're going to imagine an infinite number of physical universes for which we have, for which we have no evidence whatsoever and can't possibly have any evidence. So that makes it even better because nobody can disprove it. But but ours is scientific and yours is dogmatic. <laughs> <laughs> can you say that essentially what we're trying to say is is that human beings in a drawing in trying to see the world around them, just like they do in Abu Salah, will always make it more about themselves as opposed to you know acknowledging all divine excellence that's beyond their understanding in every realm of thought. And, to combat this or to allow for, let's say, our child to start to ponder the world in a way that will lead to an honest inquiry, you need to first instill Yirat Shamayim. Because once they're, they have Yirat Shamayim and they could acknowledge that point that, that there is a world that's bigger than they, 
then they could engage in these inquiries without falling for the trap that I need to explain the world around myself. It I don't think it will be. I don't think it's like, that easy. Like, right. no, that's definitely true. that's true in any intellectual inquiry, actually, right? They always right. fear of God. Yeah, right. always, but but uh, uh, but the Rishit Bukma Yirat Hashem is always true, but that's because. Um, like what you said, meaning you have to have the humility. You're coming to you're coming to an objective reality that's beyond you, and you can't just assume that your intuition is going to grasp it. That's for sure. But there's, it's more than that because some of these subject matters are so psychologically disturbing that a person will, even with that idea, still default. They will say, "I'm not making it about me." I'm saying that it's easier to imagine an infinite number of physical universes than to imagine or to to admit that there's one metaphysical entity God. Right? But I see that, that, that as a symptom to, of wanting to explain the world in a way that's intelligible to me. Right, no, that's true. But, and that make, that right, allows but saying me to be it, the of right, the but saying that idea that you realize that that's true isn't the same as actually internalizing it because the person will still be prone to it. They still have to be constantly vigilant that they're not doing it. Right, but the person who's already internalized the idea that what is at the center of the reality can fend off these temptations can, yeah, can, can. to make the world about himself. But they'll still always be watch, have to watch their back because we have really great chachamim that fell into, like for example, uh, in Chobot Levavot, some of the some of the reasoning he gives when he talks about Yichud Hashem is like the Rambam shows is like fallacious reasoning that was gotten from the Muslim philosophers. That, that, you know, the Ralbag went for the Shitat Torahim. Of, uh, of and making an analogy between God and the created things, and then and then had to and had to eliminate God's foreknowledge. You know, and these are great people, but and they and they obviously didn't weren't doing it consciously for any nefarious purpose. It's, you see that it can affect even great people. It's something you have to be careful about. It, effect, it affected Elisha ben Avuya. He wasn't like a stam guy, like a guy in the back of the. The back of the baby drash. He was a top. One of the top he was one of the four four greatest chachamim in the world at the time, and the and the teacher of Rebbe Meir, who was like the basically the balamasor of the next generation. And so for him to be uh, to make mistakes like this, it, it shows you. And he was reading Sarim Chitzonim. It says it says when he got up, many books of uh, of, of Greek uh, wisdom fell from his lap. It was it was a, it was like they call today a masculine. Yeah, it was uh, he was dabbling in that, and he said, "Oh, I can handle it. I I'm uh, a I mean, I'm not sure. He probably didn't explicitly, say. There, but there is an interesting. There's a I, I don't know if we ever did. We never actually learned Elisha Ben Avuya in this class. We did a, I did a series on Elisha Ben Avuya in the Shanim Kadmoniot like six seven years ago, right? But like I did a series on all the Agadot about Elisha Ben Avuya and, and together like three or four classes. Ago. Right, but how much was it? Three plus. Wow. Uh, what dates? I'm just yeah. Um, so the um, the uh, one of the one of the uh, in it, there's a Yushalmi that's quoted in the Tosafot, but it's a, it's it's actually Yushalmi that his father, um, that the father of uh, of Elisha Ben Avuya at his Brit Milan. No, it wasn't Brit Milan. It might have been his Pidyon event. It was a Brit Milan Pidyon event. Um, but which one was it? Was it that they that he saw the chachamim sitting and having a conversation, and they were encircled by fire, and you know the shechinah came and all that. He said, "That's what I want for my son. I want my son to have that koch." Right. So the that story tells you that inside Elisha Ben Abuya from a young age was the idea that learning Torah is a type of power. Right. 
learning Torah is a type of power and it confers upon me a type of power. Now, it doesn't mean he was consciously aware of that. Like, if you asked him, is learning Torah all about power? It's of course not. Chas Shalom is about Abu Hashem. But if the person has that psychologically in their mind that they are learning Torah for an, as a, it's about me, the learning of Torah. It's about my empowerment learning Torah. So then if they discover certain ideas about Hashkacha that show that it's not about you, that disturb that feeling that following the Torah is going to be always going to be to your, he sees a kid go and try to send away uh, you know fulfilling kibbutz ha'em and also shalach tishalach ha'em the two mitzvot that it says you're going to have a long life and he sees the kid die and he says obviously there's no hashkacha for people who do mitzvot or when he saw the tongue of chutzpita turgeman you know uh, that was uh, one of the malchut, and he said this is the this is what happened all the stories are the same all the stories are basically saying he didn't see in the material world hashkacha for those who were learning Torah I mean the power of Torah doesn't really protect you the power of Torah doesn't really advance you it's not foolproof and that might, you might say well that doesn't uh that wouldn't stop a person from negate the Torah, but he uh, it went, went right when unconsciously, I'm not even saying consciously, unconsciously his learning was predicated on that assumption. He couldn't tolerate it. Right? That's just one, you know, aspect of it. There's a lot to his, you know, what he believed, what he didn't believe, and uh, he believed in God. It doesn't seem like he didn't believe in God, but he couldn't. He, he wasn't able to believe in Hashkacha. He became blocked from believing in Hashkacha because his assumptions about Hashkacha had to work. Right? He reached a point where from reading Sfarim Chitzoni'im or from his own psychological relationship with Judaism or for what it was, couldn't move beyond the uh, the limit. And you see that he struggled with it because the Agado talk about every Agadah, he says to Rabbi Akiva, has something to do with the ability to be restored from being broken or the, re- re- the ability to return. Because he had a psychological conflict within himself. There's so many great Agadot about him. Like when he came on his horse on Yom Kippur Shechal B'Shavat, you know? And Rabbi Meir leaves the students to go learn with him and, and you know, things like that. What is Yom Kippur Shechal B'Shavat? It's talking about Maseb Merkava, Maseb Rishit. There's all kinds of like Rimazim in those Agadot. Because Yom Kippur is the metaphysical and, and, and Maseb Rishit is Shabbat. Like, that he was getting involved in these things and that's what brought him to, uh, you know, to not be able to, uh, to, to be Shomer Mitzvot. Like, he wasn't keeping the basic Shomer, the basic, he wasn't able to have, to exist within the framework of Torah anymore because of the speculations in Maseb Rishit and Maseb Merkava that, that he went off off the path. And he wasn't able to find a way back, which is unfortunate because sometimes what happens is the Rambam said to Moran if a person, just like if a person strains their eye to see very far, then they can't even see what's in front of them anymore. Right? Meaning you damage your eye. So he says in the same way if you strain your eyes to see the mind's eye, strain your intellect to try to understand things that are beyond you, you won't even be able to understand basic things that are in front of you. Why? Because in order to understand to give yourself the feeling the delusion that you understand those very distant things you twist your way of thinking you twist your way of thinking and so then even a basic thing so imagine if imagine if he had come up with an idea that i don't know somehow that was able to say that really all those his previous ideas of hashkacha really are valid but you have to explain things in a certain convoluted way in order like many times you hear in religious circles People explain certain events or phenomena in the most convoluted way in order to maintain a certain a, a, a preconceived belief that they have. 
So what happens then is that type of thinking spreads to other areas too. You become blocked in being able to understand even the things that are right in front of you because now you've adopted a path of thinking and relating to things that isn't based on objective reality anymore. Right? That's the danger. So, so this is what the Rambam is talking about. He's talking about getting into a, an untrained mindset when dealing with, with speculative issues is the most dangerous thing because the psyche is really what's going to be the posek, not the mind. Right? And it's not, you're going to think it's the mind. No, my mind's intuition is telling me God must be describable in terms of, uh, uh, terms of reference that are relevant to our experience. My, my mind is telling you that, but it's not really the mind. But you don't realize it. Okay? And, and, and that's what he's saying too. We don't know the midot. The person doesn't know the midot. Where do you learn that? You learn that from learning Davar Katan. The Rambam talks about that in the fourth parak, like we saw. He talks about Davar Gadol and Davar Katan. What is one of the benefits of learning Davar Katan, which means learning mitzvot and Torah? dato shel adam And when he talks about Hilchot Talmud Torah, what does he say you, the three processes are? Mikra, obviously. We actually just heard it from Rabbi Phillips last night. A third is Mikra. A third is learning the Halachot. What is learning the Halachot, actually? Okay? It's a, it's a step up in abstraction. Okay? We still never learned logic, so I can't make reference to all the logical terms with you guys because you won't, we never get to do that one day. But, the, but the, um, the, in logic, there are three things. There's something called the Muhash, the Mufrad, and the Musag. Okay? Three levels. Muhash is how you experience things in a concrete way, like a story. You experience it in a concrete way. When you're mafrid something, that means you identify a feature of the story or a feature of the thing and you examine it. That feature doesn't exist separate from the thing itself. Like you talk about the redness of the apple. Separate from the apple. You can talk about the redness of the apple, the color of the, so- of the sofa. Now, the color doesn't exist separate from the sofa, but we can talk about it separate from that. And then musag is an abstract concept. What's the definition of a sofa? Right? Is the color of the sofa uh, essential to the definition of the sofa? No, it's, it's not. You could have different colors and it's the same sofa. I'm just giving a silly example. So when it comes to learning Torah, it's the same thing. You have the mukhash, which is basically Torah Shebikhtav. The stories or the mitzvot as they appear in the chumash, which is as concrete... Ex- experiential, concrete things that we can imagine happening. A person encounters a bird's nest and it has ch- chicks and it has mom and shalech tishalech What is the meaning of that experience? How does it fit into the context of the other mitzvot around it? And the literature is first experienced on the buchash level. Then you say, what is the essential feature? Is the essential feature, that, what are the different features there? The circumstances under which he encountered it. Uh, the type of bird, right? His intention with the bird, right? What is the purpose behind the sending away of the bird? All of these things are at the level of separating out features from the, uh, uh, separating out features from something which was a, 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 whole, a holistic experience. And then finally, you have a concept that emerges from that. So from training the mind to think about things in our experience, going from chumash level to halakha level. Halakha is identifying the different features of the action, how this should be done with this, the different features and the different um, specifications of the action. And then finally to understand the concept behind it. Okay, these are three different levels. Descriptive, 
um, uh, descriptive, you know, the holistic description, identifying the features, understanding the concept behind it. Those are three different levels of thought. So when you start with the davar katan, you train your mind to approach every subject in that methodical way, in the objective way of taking it apart. That's why the Ramchal's books on logic are so valuable. And why the Rambam says again and again and again in the Moran Nebuchim, but also in other places, that learning logic is necessary to achieving high levels of thought. Not because people are skeptical about logic, because they think their natural intuition about things is mostly reliable, it's very logical. But when you train yourself, what you learn from logic is not only does it refine your intuition, it refines your intuition in an unconscious way. Because it trains you to automatically approach something in the category, in, in a categorical way, in a, sat, in a systematic, organized way, and to start breaking it down. Okay, what is the like, like I uh, like I said, like last year, a question that was unresolved was we we discussed at one point and we didn't have a good answer. What is the meaning of the Gid and the It came up in one of our discussions. Okay, now in the Gid and the story, I'll give you a very off, a, 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 something that I was musing about actually recently, just to show you how a logical approach can guide you, right? Because I was thinking about it in this way. When the Malach, you know, we know that, uh, that Yaakov wrestled with the Malach, and then it says, you're not supposed to eat the Gid and the That's the Pasuk. So the, when you look at that, you say to yourself, what is the significance? Is it that, is the significance of the touching of the Gid that we don't eat it because that's how we, because that's how we lost? Or, or meaning because that's how we disabled them? That's why? Is the significance because we're supposed to remember the incident of the wrestling and that's just a way, that's just the most memorable aspect of the incident, of the way that, uh, that we, that, you know, that will remind us of the wrestling? Or is it something specific about the negiah of the Gid that we're supposed to be focusing on? Right? Why in an Isur Achila? Right? As opposed to another type of a way of remembering it. Right? So you immediately start looking and taking apart the incident looking at okay is the is the, is it the wrestling match itself that's significant is it the gid and that is actually significant in and of itself or is the gid and just the way to remember the wrestling match right what is it about the touching of the gid and is it the fact that he couldn't defeat him until he touched the gid and or the fact that he actually defeated him so you immediately start breaking down the scene into the multiple possibilities. Why is it significant to remember this incident as opposed to all the other incidents that Yaakov experienced? Is it something related to the upcoming meeting of Esav? Is it something related to the meaning of the name Yisrael? Maybe that's why it says, And that's when he got the name Yisrael. There's so many different aspects. You think you break them down and you line them up. When, you're, when you've learned more of a when you've trained your mind logically you immediately start thinking is this a is this the is this a feature or is this the subject right is this a, is this the generality that i'm looking at or is this an example and i'm supposed to generalize from it you start putting everything in those kind you know is this a is this a uh, what you would call a uh, uh, a um, major premise or a minor premise a major premise is like when you say all men are mortal the, the classic one is all men are mortal Socrates, Socrates is a man therefore Socrates is mortal if you look at a statement and you immediately think 
what am I looking at? Am I looking at the general statement or the application of the statement? Or the, or the result from, that, from, from an application of a generality to a... You start to think more categorically right away about everything. That's the, that... You learn. You can learn that intuitively. You absorb a lot of that in learning halakha. But when you explicitly learn logic, it becomes clearer to you. It becomes more methodical and conscious. The way that you do it. So logic doesn't give you answers. People are like, it doesn't tell you anything. Uh, logic is a waste of time. Uh, man is mortal. Socrates is a man. Therefore, Socrates. Is so I didn't learn anything from that. I already knew he was mortal. So what? It's teaching you how to structure your thought. It's not giving you new answers, right? It's like you have to understand. It, and, and that's what the Ramchal does in his two books because in one book Sefer Higayon he talks about logic and in the second book he talks about how these affect how you learn Gemara when you learn Talmud or you learn Halakha how you use it it's very very valuable okay so okay we're up to uh, he doesn't know the Midot meaning he's going to approach it in an untrained way and his psyche is going to be the one that's the uh, that guides him okay yeah. It's not, it's, even though you're going to lose a lot of we're not going to punish you. No malku. It's like, Afal uh, Pisha, he's not going to have Olam Haba. But in this world, you're going to be okay. Okay. So, what is this halakha adding here? We say it every day in the Shema. Is Minut. And the other one is Zenut. Why is he even mentioning Zenut here? Is a Ma Inyan Shmita Etzel Ar Sinai? You know what's what, 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 what to do? What's the uh, What's the Kesher? What's the connection between Minut and Znut, guys? Breaking down the idea of God bringing him to cold feet. You feel like there's no boundaries left. The idea of uh, the people that feel like they're most enlightened usually uh, they encroach upon like sexual perversions. Okay, so why? 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 These are the ways people process. Are you processing either through the things you see or the things right, that... But he's specifically mentioning znuts. It's like those minut and znuts. The person is falling for what's most psychologically possible. Right. As opposed to what's actually in it. And he's stirred by what he says as art. So he moves on to the person is, is falling for what's most physically attractive and tempting rather than what's... See that? That's, that's, see? You got it. See that? It's talking about the person who's, who's a psyche-driven person, right? It's a materialism. is the same thing. In other words, just like the a person's operating on the material framework with rela- relationship to God because it's psychologically uh, satisfying. He's also going to go for what's psychologically and physically satisfying when it comes to his relationship with women or when it comes to his relationship to physical sources of physical pleasure. Right? In other words, he's going to, both his, uh, his, his thought and his action are going to be in the purely material and psychologically gratifying uh, framework. When he, when he falls into that, most people, that's how they are. 
when do they think outside that? When external reality forces them. But to the extent that they can work around external reality and remain instinctual, uh, psychologically driven creatures, they're going to do that. Right? That's exactly what you said. So that's arezo minut. So, uh, and he says, even though it will remove the person from olam it doesn't have malkot. Why doesn't it have malkot? Just as a practical matter. Right? There's no activity. So it's not legal. We can't prosecute you in a bedin for something we can't see. Right, so therefore, but there's an interesting thing where the Rambam here says minut that uh, um, because the Rambam later on defines minut in a very specific way, he defines the different categories of people min, apikos, and, and kofer specifically. Right? What does it mean? Who, who did Rambam mean remembers what a min is? Right, so let's look, let's look, let's take a look. What are what is the definition of minut? Because he's using this word minut a lot. But minut has a technical definition in the Rambam. It's not just like like nowadays, everyone's a koifer. Oh, he's a koifer, or apikoyers. They don't care what the... There's no, like, definition. Just a person who has an idea that I don't like. That's, that's what it means. Now, that's an, or that disturbs me, better yet. A person who has an idea that disturbs me, especially if he seems to know something, because then it's actually threatening. If he doesn't, then I won't give him the... I won't confer upon him such a uh, illustrious title of apikoyers. So what, where is that? It's in third parish Tishuba? Okay. Everyone's running away from us. What happened to everyone? We're down to 15% capacity. Okay. So what is the... Uh, where is it? Okay, yeah. Let's see what the different categories are he brings. It's important. Well, our reader abandoned us too. He, 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 did the yeah. he wasn't able to help it, to handle it. Okay, so what what so the Rambam has in Hilchot Teshuvah. this is uh Hilchot Teshuvah. Perek Gimel Alakha in mine it's Alakha Zain. I think it's all the same. So uh Hamishain and Ikrain Minin. Five people are called mina. Omer she'en sham eloha, atheist, right? Ve'en laulam manhig, same thing. Va'omer she'yesh sham manhig, aval em shenaim oyeter. Okay, they says there is a uh, creator, but it's two or more, any more than one. Va'omer she'yesh sham ribon echad el shu guf ubal tmuna. Is is physical God? Or he says he's not the only eternal thing. So that would include actually even somebody who believed in any other pre-existing entity like let's say Plato's idea of creation that there was pre-existing matter. Primor- primordial matter that's also eternal. That would, even though he believes God is one and God is eternal he's not the only eternal thing. Right? And then who believes that uh, that really it's all just game theory. It's a uh, like the video game. No, but it's re- really 
there's a video like like the they, it's all just a simulation, but really there's just people controlling the simulations outside. Oh, okay, that's weird. Okay, but we're saying he so he talks about minut. So we're, so we we're trying to just find the Rambam has a specific definition of minut. So for those that walked away for a second, so we're trying to find what those definitions are. So we jumped to Hilchot Teshuvah for a second, just to get that clarity on what that was. Because the Rambam quoted the pasuk, is minut, and is nut. Because these are the two ways that a person operates on a purely psychological, materialistic level in his management of his instincts and his thought. Right. So and and so now we're looking at what minut. Minut is either you don't believe in God, you believe that God is uh, two or more. You believe that God has a body. You believe that there's some other primordial, primordial eternal entity other than God. Okay, introduces so that uh, so that so that's um, not necessarily Dor Enosh because they weren't asking a melitz. They were asking. They, they were just trying to honor God by bowing to the uh, bowing to the stars. But they so they wouldn't necessarily fall under that. But if you are you are addressing God uh, through an intermediary, okay. So these are all minutes. So what is the common denominator of minutes? Actually, I don't want to do that yet. Let's look at the other two categories, and then you'll tell me. Maybe one of you will tell me, or you'll, you'll, what are the defining features. He's giving you a list, right? So you have to find out the musag. This is the, what we said before, this is the level where he's identifying the features of, of, a, of a mean. It's this, or this, or this, or this. The different types of minim. Okay? Now he's, so there must be a concept behind these different fe- examples, right? Let's look at the next one. Shloshayin anikoyin apikorosin. Haomer she'en sham nevu'aklal. Ve'en sham madash shemagia me'avore le'lev b'nei adam. Person denies prophecy. Vamachish nevuato shel Moshe Rabbeinu. Vaomer she'en abore yodea masei b'nei adam. Kol echad mishlosha elo epikoros. So, so th- those are the three. No prophecy. God doesn't know what's going on. Or nevuat Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay. What is a kofir? Shlosha in kofrin. האומר שאין התורה מאים השם, אפילו פסוק אחד, אפילו תיבה אחת, אם אמר משה אמרו מפי עצמו, הרי זה כופר בתורה. וכן הכופר בפירושה, ויתורה שבעל פה, וחיש מגידיה, כגון צדוק וביתו, so you doubt the transmission of the תורה שבעל פה. והאומר שהבורא החליף מצווה זו במצווה אחרת, והוא כבר בטלה תורה זו. אף על פי שהייתה מאים השם, כגון הנוצרים והגרים, because the Arabs הגרים, like הגר, right? So they, like they did, כל אחד משלושה אלו כופר בתורה. So not everyone is a כופר, not everyone is אפיקוירס. There's a, there's a logic to it. What is the, what is the צד השווה שבהן, or as they say in modern Hebrew, המכנה המשותף, between all these things, right? Between all these things. What are the, in each one, meaning, what is mean, they're obviously separating three categories. He's giving us, he's giving us examples of each. What are, the, what is the definition of each? You can give me examples, I want a definition. I ask you, what is the definition of mean that distinguishes it from Apikoros, distinguishes Apikoros from Kover? What is it? What is it? In order to do that, you have to look at the examples and say, what's the theme that they share, right? Mean is not fake at all. Mean is negation of God. Yeah. Mean is God. Apikros is Nebuah. Nebuah is Ashkafah. 
He's two for two so far today. Yeah. Right? So that's it. Amin is some pegam in the recognition of Hashem, right? In the transcendence of God. Which includes thinking you need a milit, because that means God is somehow limited. I, I can't address him directly, right? So that there's some kind of a, uh, a, a defect in my understanding of God. That's the mean. Apikoros is hashkacha, which is of course primarily, especially for the Rambam, mediated through prophecy. So God doesn't know, or God doesn't relate, or there's no or nivuat Moshe Rabbeinu, which is a, cl- a category of nivuah, right? And then finally, the validity of the Torah system, the system of Torah. That's kofir. So these are very specific definitions. Now, all of them are bad, but when you use the term, you want to use the correct term. People are very sloppy. They just call everyone apikoiris or everyone koifer. They don't usually use the mean as fallen out of, uh, uh, fallen out of use. Not as, not as common. But the, it doesn't sound as good with the Ashkenazi. Right, it doesn't. It doesn't have an oi. You need an oi in it. Yeah. So because, because, when you have, because, when you, because by doing that, you are mikayim tu mitzvot. You're saying that the person is an abikoros and you're also expressing your distress over that. So you're putting oi in. Like the, so that, like, the, like, like, the, like Bil'am, oi, mi yichie That's it. Right? So it says, Apikoi Rose says, I'm, I'm also sad about it. I'm not just, I'm not just stating it. No. So the, uh, but those are the three categories. Right? De- a defect in the understanding of God, which could either be he doesn't exist, which is materialism. Right? He is uh, more than one, meaning you don't have a true understanding of Yichud Hashem. Right? He's not exclusively eternal. There's another eternal thing besides him. Right? He's not exclusively the object of worship. There's somewhat, something else that you worship in order to be an intermediary, right? Or he's physical. Right? So all of these things are a defect in understanding of God. That's it. So that's the definition. Right. Basically, Hashem, the relationship between Hashem and and, and, and humanity. That's Hashkah, Hashkacha. And finally, the product of that relationship, the validity of the Torah, is the last. Right. That's a kofir because. Kofir means to deny the, the authority of something, right? It's really denying the authority of the Torah, saying, oh, this, this word was uh, put in later. Uh, this, this mitzvah was changed with another mitzvah. He's denying the, the divinity of the Torah, basically, and validity, right? As opposed to Apikoros, who's basically like, an Apikoros would be a person who says, there's a creator, but he doesn't have anything to do with human beings, like Einstein or something like that. Or like scientists who believe in God are typically apikorsim. They're not typically uh, typically minim. They say there's no hashkacha for bnei adam. There's no uh, nivuah. But there is a God that created the world. An abstract idea of God. They might have uh, maybe Aristotle would be that. Aristotle would be considered apikoros. Not a uh, not a min. Plato would be a min because he believed in eternal matter coexisting with God. Are we, are we are we going back now, right? Right. No, no. So that's the so when the Rambam is talking about minut, why is that important? He's going to keep using this term minut, even though the example he gave was shema Torah mina shemaim shema ena. Right. That isn't an example of minut. So he's saying that all of this, 
all of these incorrect thinkings, the mode of thinking, which is undisciplined thinking, leads to minut. Even if the topic that you start your undisciplined thinking in is something else. Because what does it say about Acher, actually, about Elisha ben He started with pikpukim about, about the Yashkacha. He started with that, but in the end, he believed in Shtei uh, Rishuyot, you know, Matatron and whatever it was. The, all, right. It became Amin, because ultimately his undisciplined thinking led him to a conception of God that was distorted. So it can actually flow back up to the higher levels of distortion from the lower level. Once you start following that path, kol lo yishuvun. You keep going in that direction, you can't get back. Okay, go ahead. Let's go back to Abu Dazara now. Halakha Dalit, okay. We're making progress. Hear that? That's a big deal. Right? The Rambam really elaborates on this idea a great deal in the morning of Ophim. Like quite a lot. In the first book and in the third book. Right, right, so what is, the, what is the context of that, do you know? Does everybody know where that is? Sorry to use the word context again, but... Yeah. What, what's, what, what, this pasuk. What is the, uh, what is the context of it? Who knows? It's in Bamidbar, right? Right, so there, there are two cases where we have uh, Sanhedrin making a mistake. One is in the beginning of Ayikra, that uh, it's saying, right? One of them is called the Parhelem Davashel Tzibur, which is the, uh, the Korban Khatat when the Bet Din makes a ruling on a fundamental, uh, it's a fundamental mitzvah, which is Shigato uh, Karet, but it's not Avodazara anything else they make a mistake and everyone goes and does it so they have to bring the korban what's called the para para abal kola mitzvot or uh, para helim davar shal tzibur right when the uh, when it when it's avodazara involved so they bring para v'sayir they recorded the pasuk uh, is this yours okay so in so it's actually a contradiction in the text because in the first, in, in Vayikra, it says... So if you're a Bible critic, you'll say it's obviously two different authors. In the, because in the, um, in the first case, in the, uh, in, the, in the Korban Chatat list of Sefer Vayikra, the Korbanot are different. The, the, oh, at the end of, of Parshat Vayikra. Yeah. Parshat Vayikra. Here we are. Vim Nefeshachat Bishkaga. Also, what does he bring? Sirat izim tmiman It's a female goat. What does the bet din bring? Right? It says if the bet, if the people did one, they violated one of the mitzvot Hashem So and the, so then what happens? The zikne aida bring a bull. 
Okay, that's the rule. What happens in, according to Sefer uh, B'midbar, what happens in that case? Um, hold on. In 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 Sefer B'midbar, listen to this. So Vim Nefesh Achat Techeta Bishkaga. There it says Vikuiva Ez Bachnata Lechatat, not Zirat Izim. Before it was a female, now it's a male. Okay. And for the and when it talks about the bedin, v'chit tishku v'lo tasu, it says et kol hamitzvot ha'ela asher tivah Hashem biad Moshe, et kol asher tivah Hashem alechem biad Moshe min ayom asher tivah Hashem v'hal al edorot lechem. Vaya imene aida nestal ishkagasim language, right? If it was done because of the bedin, then they have to bring par ben bakar echad leolah leach nichoach, and also usir izim echad lechatan. So how do you understand if they did one mitzvah violation by the behest of the uh, of the bedin, they bring a korban of a bull? But if they did all the mitzvot, it sounds like, then they bring a bull and a, and a, and a uh, goat. So it's a, so, so 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 they're both. So the, so according, if a person doesn't have any context in reading it, they say, oh, if you did only one of the mitzvot wrong, you have to bring one korban. If you did all of them, right? It sounds like you did all of them. So then you bring just two korbanot. Oh, it's a great deal. Think about the think about what you get. For one mitzvah, you had to do one. For 612 more, you have to do one more korban. That's it's like a... Uh, so, that, so all the mitzvahs say, obviously it can't be that it means that you did all of the mitzvot. It's saying one of the mitzvot that is shakul neged kol mitzvot, right? And what is that? That's Avodah Zarah. So that's why, that's why it elaborates. It says, all the mitzvot Hashem commanded Moshe... Um, from the beginning till now, meaning the foundational mitzvah that undermines everything, which is Avodah Zorah, it's considered kola mitzvot because since all the mitzvot are in order to lead us to a recognition of Yichud Hashem, somebody who undermines the purpose of all the mitzvot is basically doing something that, that negates the value of every mitzvah. No mitzvah can be good, can have value if you believe in Avodah Zorah. I'm putting on tefillin for Avodah Zorah. I'm keeping Shabbat for for an idea of a of a physical God. It's not a it's not a it's not a Shmirat Shabbat. It's not a kiyum of the mitzvah taboe. Not bringing me clo- the mitzvot are designed to bring us to a deeper and deeper understanding of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. If my whole premise is God is an old man with a beard sitting on a throne in the sky, then my entire mitzvah knowledge of mitzvot and my entire observance of mitzvot is all. Not only is it tainted, it basically Wrong. becomes Avodah Zarah. Because I'm doing it in service of a deity that's not real. So it, 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 it destroys my Judaism. So that's why he's saying it's, it's like, and anybody who believes, now that the, the corollary is harder to understand. But we can understand why if Avodah Zarah, somebody who's Modeb Avodah Zarah, is Kafar Bechola Torah Kula Uvechola Nevi'im. Because the entire purpose of all of Nevi'ah, of all of the Balea Mesra, of all the Nevi'im, of all of the everything, was to bring us to a knowledge of Yichudo, like it says about Avram Avinu. Because from Yichudo comes all the good, comes all the way, way of looking at the world as good. It's all about that. So anyone who's Modeba, is undermining everything that they worked for and everything that all the purpose of everything that they did. Okay, and negating its value because it's like if a per, if a uh, if a person is uh, hears an argument prove that you know 
proves something to be true and after all that argument says, yeah, but I still want to believe my uh, own belief. It's, it just throws out everything. Yeah? You, you, you spend the, uh, the, all of the effort highlighting and uplifting people to come to this idea of Yichud Hashem and at the end you say, but I still believe in Avodah Zorah. I'm not going to let go of it. So then, then what's the purpose of everything? That's what he's saying. It's, it's, uh, it's keneged kol mitzvot, and anybody who believes in it, he's not saying even who does it, anybody who believes in it, because that idea is going to be a rot that affects everything, right? But on the other hand, kol kofer that person is modeh bechol kula. You necessarily have to agree with, he doesn't say, ukiyem et kol kula. It says, umodeh bechol kula. Correct? Well, so what's that idea? Right, so he's saying the first part we understand. If you believe in Avodah Zorah, you're negating the whole point of the entire Torah because the whole point of the entire Torah, the Rambam says in the Moran and Bukhim many times, is for Yichud Hashem, to uproot Avodah Zorah. That's the whole purpose. But how are you... Now notice, he doesn't say that it's like you did all the mitzvot. He's saying that if you believe, if you if you reject Avodah Zarah, you believe in the entire Torah. You're a modeh bechol Torah kula, right? And the ikar kola mitzvot kulan. It's the base. It's the principle of all the mitzvot, which the Rambam really develops that idea. Like I said, in the Mora Nebuchim. Is that how Avraham came to his conclusion? Just the negation of all forms of Avodah Zarah. It couldn't be that. The only possible explanation is the multiverse, obviously. Is that the connection between there are two other things that he says is Shabbat also he says in Shabbat also you can see why Shabbat is similar why why breaking Shabbat is similar to Avodah Zorah also because it's the way you relate to the world right it's about recognizing the world as the handiwork of the uh, that's what it is as, as opposed to the two extremes, either uh, that the world is somehow worthy of appreciation and worship in and of itself, or, or the possibility that uh, God didn't create it. Right? So the, um, the, 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 uh, the, uh, so why is it that I think what he's trying to say, I think, why doesn't he use the word kiyemet kola mitzvot? He doesn't say kiilu kiyemet kola Torah kula. Kiyemet kola mitzvot. He just says modebe kola Torah kula. Meaning a person who rejects Avodah Zorah is necessarily going to admit of the goodness of the Torah, of the value of the Torah. It means he's going to endorse the Torah. Because he's going to, anybody who's kofer ba Avodah Zorah and sees this system of Torah that is designed to root out Avodah Zorah is going to be modern system. Doesn't mean, mean even a goy, Right, who is against Avodah Zorah, and you show him, I have a Torah here that is designed perfectly to uproot Avodah Zarah, educate a nation away from Avodah Zarah, and ultimately educate mankind away from Avodah Zarah. And look at it, he's going to be modeh. It doesn't mean he's going to be even Jewish. It means he's going to see the value, and he's going to validate the the value of the Torah, affirm the value of the Torah. So, to be modem means he's going to affirm value. That the fact that he acknowledges it but doesn't do anything about it, that's also a defect in his, uh, you know, We would. He's still not a complete Jew. Like, I think the, the, the Rambam still makes a distinction between a goy, she, a goy that's a ben Noah 
and the goy that is a uh, that is an obed This is still not a Jew because to be a Jew means that your entire life you accepted the kabbalat al Every aspect of your life is either reflecting the yichud Hashem and the and kiddush Hashem, or is on the way there, hopefully, to getting there. A, a goy can be modeh in, in in the oneness of God and be modeh in the truth of Torah, but he himself is held back psychologically from in implementing it in his life. So yeah, you could say that person is a split personality. You know, he's, he, he, by, he, the implication of his life choice is that he isn't fully convinced that, you know, enod milvado, enod milvado chutz mimeni. You know, it's like, uh, I make space for myself. Yeah, because that, that, that's, that's the part that I'm trying to understand. If I'm understanding correctly, it's almost like the Obama is saying, that, that but it fits, by the way, with the idea of a Ben Noach, because a Ben Noach isn't mekayem et kol ha-Torah kula, he's modeh be kol ha-Torah kula. That's the part that I think is trying to clarify. What I'm understanding is that the Rambam is saying that the negation of Abu Dazara is not only sur merah. It's, it's not only just getting rid of the things that are impediments towards seeking truth, but rather it is... It is by default, also the acquisition of truth. Am I, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, because it leads because because that especially no in the Rambam in the Rambam's view, as you remove Avodah Zarah, you're revealing Yichudo. The the, the the knowledge of Yichud Hashem is always the negation of the uh, of the alternative because you can't have positive knowledge of God. So what is real knowledge of Yichudo and Malchuto is the negation of other possibilities. Right? That's what says the, that Abraham Avinu realized the ta'ut of everybody. Right. All of the ta'utim that they did. <laughs> there was, I know this Hold fucking guy. That, so he, so said, said, yeah, he said, it's not fun to, when you read the Torah because there are not enough ta'utim. This <laughs> Moroccan, he was joking. He was like, <laughs> so, 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 that, so that's why, meaning because you can't know anything positively about Hashem, is why you run about this or but yeah, well, that's that's why it's it's modern. You know, that's why it's the asetov also. You know, it emerges. It, it, it emerges. It from emerges a, from a by by removing. You know, Shabbat is a little bit, I, and I don't know. Maybe it's not. Um, it's not really. Like, well, that's why they always say Shabbat and Avodah Zarah are shkuli, because either you're deifying the material world as an end in itself. In what, either because you think it's supernatural or purely materialistic, doesn't matter, or you're recognizing the material world as caused by God and as the handiwork of God. That's, it's about orienting you. So if you decide not to observe Shabbat, you're saying the material world is a thing in and of itself, one way or another. It's not handiwork of Akadosh Baruch When you're observing Shabbat, you're affirming that it's handiwork of Akadosh Baruch and nothing more, nothing less. Right. right? No, what I meant by that was... I would conventionally think that just the Shmirat Shabbat, meaning just abstaining from doing the Rakhah, meaning that's the, conventionally I would think that that's the Sur Mirat aspect of Shabbat. That like, I'm just removing the things that are impediments towards actually achieving the higher order thinking, but it's not actually the higher order thinking in and of itself to just not do the Melachot. Right, it's not. That's why you have Kiddush. That's what you learned last that, year. Well, exactly. That's, that's, why, you that's why you have Kiddush. And Oneg. That's the Asetov. Right, the Asetov is the using the... You, you're removing... Because what is really Melacham? 
I mean, we're not doing Hilchot Shabbat. But what is really Melacha? Melacha is a, when you're interacting with the world in order to dominate it, in order to shape it in accordance with your objectives. That's why it's Melachet Machashevet Asratoah. It's, it's that my machshava, my, you know, my calculation in Cheshbon is what I'm imprinting on the world. I'm order, ordering and organizing the world in accordance with my purpose. That's why there has to be, uh, there, it has to be Melachet uh, Machashevet, it has to have a, it has to be Melachet you know, that's the whole issue of Melachet and so on. So the, it has to be purposeful. So that orientation to the world has to be removed I can't simultaneously reflect on the world as an object of thought reflecting God's, that, that expresses God's wisdom and design as I'm bozmani, I am, uh, I'm orienting myself to the world as an object that I'm reshaping into my own, uh, into my own creation. So meaning a carpenter can also be a scientist, but at the moment that he's thinking about the wood and how he's going to make it into a chair, he can't also be thinking about it in terms of it being the wood that God created as part of the natural universe. There's two different orientations. Shabbat is saying you remove the melacha orientation to the world so that you can have a sheshet yamim bara Hashem et ha-shamayim orientation to the world. Always need to step back. Right. Because we were talking about how kofer ba'avodah zorah is modeh b'chol ha-torah kula. And that, uh, what does it mean? It's, what does it mean? It doesn't mean that when you reject idolatry, you fulfilled all the mitzvot. That's impossible. Because then a, then a Ben Noach is also fulfilling all the mitzvot. Right? It means that when you're kofer, it means you're validating and, and, and endorsing and acknowledging and affirming the, the entire Torah. When you, because that's what the whole Torah is about. And that's why he adds, Vehi ikar kola mitzvot kuna. Meaning you're validating the Torah by, because you're validating the objective of the entire But the thing, but we're saying that Shabbat is an orientation to the world that is illuminated by a knowledge of Yichud Hashem. Because the two options are either the material world is a thing in itself, and, the, and my only interaction with it is to reshape it in accordance with the way that I want it, or that it's an object of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's creation. So what Judaism says is they're both true. You're, it's an object of God's creation that we reflect on on Shabbat by withdrawing. The rest of the week, we're doing tikkun olam physically by organizing it in a way that will be brings out its potential. God left a lot of potential in the world for us to actualize. And that's part of the kibshua. But the kibshua isn't a contradiction to Hashem's being the creator of the world. We're created with the intelligence to do that and our mandate is to do that on God's behalf. To fully bring out the potential of the world which leads us to an understanding of the world that's even deeper and then our Shabbat is even more meaningful. Think about a person who's, uh, I don't know, chopping down trees and learns to identify all the different trees and how they can be useful in building houses or versus building furniture versus work, you know this versus that. But in his interaction with trees, he also collects a lot of information that he can reflect on and see the Maseya Dab Shalakadosh you know, But it's a different, it's a different mental orient. He can't do both, he can't hold those at the same time. He can't be doing them at the same time. So, so that's why you need Shabbat. You know. why, why not? Sitting, sitting, oftentimes, it's in the back of your mind. Right? Oriented, I'm saying consciously in the front yeah, of your mind. Yeah, it's not what you're consciously right, right. But you also, through it, if, you're, if you have that orientation already, you do approach it and you say, Yeah, but the, the purpose of Shabbat is to step back and look again and. Not in that Dor Enosh way of looking at the world that we only care about it insofar as it 
Because a guy who's out there in the fields knows that, oh, God is responsible for the sun shining and the rain coming and the soil and all that. That's why so many farmers are like religious, you know, especially in America. You know, because they realize it. But they're not saying, and therefore I should reflect on the universe and how it is, it is you know, that uh, you know, all this type of orientation of just seeing it for its own sake. Separate from my interest, that's what Shabbat is. Shabbat is separate from my interest to reflect on it. That, that's, that's being held in the head at the same time as... Human creative activity, untempered by Shabbat, could be to... This pretense of human centrality. Right. It will. It does. Because even the religiosity of Western man, even the religiosity of Western man is a religiosity that has man at center. For the most part. Meaning that God, that God is significant because He provides me with this. He provides me with that. He saves me. He does this for me. He does that for me. He helps me win my wars. He does. It's purely in my framework that I'm in. The idea of a day. I've said this many. It's not only Western. Man. But humanity. I've said this many, many times. Okay, fine. Eastern too. Well, that's becoming West because they're taking over the West too. Um, in, in the, I mentioned many times before that Jewish people are unique. The holiday that is the holiest holiday we have is the one that has nothing to do with man. Nothing. Or even Yom Kippur is less holy than Shabbat. Meaning the day that has to do with the purification of ours from our sins and the uplifting of B'nai Adah, Yitziat Mitzrayim, anything that has to do with human beings is secondary to Shabbat. Shabbat has nothing to do with us. We weren't even there. Yeah. Nobody was there. Maybe Adam Arishon at the end. No, nobody was there at the creation, the initial creation. And yet that is the holiest day because that is the reflecting on Hashem for no human purpose. Right? So that, that no religion has an idea like that. Every religion has to tie a human being in somehow. And I, and I had mentioned last year when we were learning Shabbat, that's why when you, there's no idea of Simcha on Shabbat, only Oneg. And what do we say? Le'aneg et Yom HaShabbat. Right? It's the, the point is to show that Shabbat is a good day. Not my personal enjoyment, it's le'aneg et Yom HaShabbat. And lechabed et Yom HaShabbat. All of it is oriented around showing that this day represents something very, very significant. Not my own personal, what, what I benefited from. It's a very interesting thing. Only the Torah has that idea. No other religion has an idea like that. Okay, go ahead. He's, he's rearing to go. He's, even though he's Chayav Mita, right? The guy who does Averashi Chayav Skila, he's not as bad as the Oved Avodazara. What does that mean? What's Mishumad? Mishumad is also in Hilchot Tishuba. What's Mishumad? Look, look at Hilchot. You're allowed to turn pages and read, right? You can also turn. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so if you turn to Hilchot Teshuvah, back where we were, Per Gimel, where he defined the Min, the Apikoros, and the Kofer. So he also defines the Mishumad. Uh, Mishumad in, in uh, Halachatet. It was right after that Halachat that we were reading before. <laughs> Shumad 
He said, I, I, I hold by all the mitzvot except for this one. But I don't, I don't believe in it. Well, that's, uh, he doesn't have that mitzvah. He doesn't hold by it. Right, that's right. But he does it lachi. He does it in, in right. He does it b'shita. Right. So the point is that it's not a kofer that he's he's negating the validity or truth of the Torah. Saying I don't, I don't, I'm not going to keep this mitzvah. I'll take off. I'm, I'm not going to do this. But it's a, it's a little bit, it, it's nuanced. I mean, he's saying that it's mishumak, whatever you're doing, it's simply a piece. It's not like most people that we know, that, because we know people that, that do this. Yeah. Right? Like, the, we, we can choose, but not based off of an ideological, a fundamental ideological grid. I purposely eat chalent on Yom Kippur. I, I or something like that. That's what he's talking about. People yeah. like that. Yeah. No, but it's it's because this is the thing to reject to reject it. I want to reject. I want to show my aggression towards God for giving me mitzvot by one thing. I'm not going to do. Okay? People that like for example, the most of the the uh, people who are who are over on Shabbat, for example, they don't do it out of some ideological place. They do it because. It's only not Lachis. Yeah, it's not Lachis. It's, it's, it's all okay. Like, it's, it's, not, it's hard because it's easier. Yeah, it's, it's, it's for convenience. They're not making a statement, I reject Shabbat. Yeah. They're, they're, they're saying, this is how I observe Shabbat. I drive to the synagogue. I mean, I have a kiddush. Yeah. You know, it's not that, I'm not trying to say that I'm anti-Shabbat. I just don't observe Shabbat in the way that uh, some people do. Yeah. Even uh, people feel where Shabbat is. The suits are so much nicer, you know, suit supply doesn't take out the shot. No. Yeah. All the nicest suits. It has to be lachis. It has to be lachis. Yeah, it's not lachis. Lachis means you're trying to make a statement. Yeah. Right? They're not trying to make a statement, but there are people who do that. There are people yeah. who do that. So there are people who do that. That's Mishumat. Right, that's Mishumat. And then there's all the Mishumat of the that kind of reminds me of, uh, of Eli Melech. Yeah. That he abandoned the people. He's saying, right, the, the, he goes, he says, Kigon. He's saying, Amishumad Echol Torah means that he abandoned the religion. He says that he decided to join the non-Jews Bishashi Gozuin Shmad when it's difficult. And he says, Israel. I have no benefit of being a Jew. I'm gonna go join when there's when the solo, I'm gonna join these. How is that Mishumad the He abandons his he's not saying the Torah is not true. He's saying, I don't wanna live like that. I don't wanna live a life of suffering. Why should I have to suffer? I'm going to go join, I'm going to take the easy way. Like if the Meshadis had said, you know what, what do we have to deal with? Let's just, let's just go along with it. Well, we'll be Muslim. I mean, it's not so bad. Uh, you know, it's, we don't have to go to church. It's, so it's better. So, right, so that's the point. It's like a different religion, you're saying. It's like you're out of the framework of Jew- Jewish religion. So it's important to see what his definition of Mishumad is. Right, to, to see that. Because he's saying, you're like a goy in every respect. The definition of a Jew is somebody, he's saying, who is committed to Yichud Hashem. Who is exclusively committed to Yichud Hashem. Ivri Anochi. 
Right? That's the definition of being a Jew. Right? Wait, what does he mean by Hanukkah? Right? Hanukkah is Hanukkah. Hanukkah is Hanukkah. Hanukkah is Hanukkah. Meaning, halachically, if he touches your non-bibushal wine, he's a goy. If he, anything that he does, halachically, is not tofes. He's considered like an obed he's out of the camp. Now, the difference is he can do Teshuvah and accept him. But uh, he's worse than a Jew that's Chayab Skila. Why? But yeah, they're saying even other other chayav uh, eskila. Let's say a person mechalel Shabbat or does one of the other one of the arayot that's mechalel eskila. Is a Yehudi shachata is still a Yehudi, right? Israel shachata, Israel, right? If you're doing what is the negation of the Torah, even a chayav mita person, why is he chayav mita? Right? Not not only is he a uh, not only is he a chayav uh, mita. Um, and it's a kapara for him, meaning that the idea he has the chelik lolamabam. Most most skila they have chelik lolamabam. Means that he still ha, he's still part of Jewish community. This is a teshuvah for him and a tikkun for the community to recognize what is the significance. Why do we have chiyuvei mitan Torah? First of all, for the community to demonstrate rejection of the behavior of this person. Right, that's that's why it always says Yada Idim meaning the people are showing their their condemnation of the behavior by doing a, by implementing a death penalty, and the person has the opportunity to reflect and do teshuvah. That's why he always has a vidui before his uh, before his uh, uh, sentence is carried out. Okay, so it's predicated on he's a member of the Jewish people who still has some chelik laolam still has some chelik b'Israel. But somewhat because he's still just because I did a chet sheyesh boskilat doesn't mean that I reject the Yichud Hashem. I just uh, did an action to, that was contrary to the Torah out of uh, uh, my own desire. Got the best of me, right? So that's the he's saying. But a per, but he's mishumad lechol Torah kula, meaning that it's not, you can't say I'm a Jew for Jesus. I believe in Jesus, but I keep all the mitzvot. You know, there's actually that that's a thing now. The next generation of Jews for Jesus are halachic Jews for Jesus. They actually have messianic bedid. Like, they actually now... In, you missed so much. You missed what happened. You, you went back to the Harabai. Yeah. So the... So the... Um, so the uh, uh, um, the, now they have that idea. They have like these Jews for Jesus who like follow halakha and learn Talmud and do all this. Like they're trying to say that we can have a, an Avodah Zarah principle, but the halakha can be meaningful. They hold Protestant Christianity basically, yeah. They hold Trinity. They hold Trinity. Yeah, they hold Trinity. No, no, they hold Trinity. They hold Trinity. Right. So first he started with the previous the previous halacha. He was saying that, that he's saying that the the validity of the entire Torah rests on either your acknowledgement of Abu Dazarah or your rejection of it. Right. And now he's saying that. Insofar as the person's membership in the Jewish people is concerned, he becomes a goy, right? Meaning that you cannot. There's no such thing as a Yisrael Shemamin Babodazar. Even if he says, 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 even if he says,
I'll keep all the mitzvot. I just, I believe Jesus in my heart. Here's the good. Right? He could be the most Haredi Jew. And, and, and everything Haredi, when he believes in Jesus, he's, he's nothing. He's worse than Chayavei because at least Chayavei Skila still has the Yisod. From, he can do Teshuvah before he gets a Skila. It's something. This person, you can't be... By the way, back to this Hilchot Teshuvah for a second. Why can't the Min do Teshuvah? Like the Rambam says, the Minim, and the, they can't do Teshuvah. Why? Because the Yisod is lacking. What are you doing Teshuvah to? You're doing Teshuvah to the physical God that doesn't exist? You don't have the framework to do Teshuvah. So the person who's a, who is an Oveda... Can you change what? his framework? You're not returning to God. You have to I get vision. it, but what, what, you can't now say, you know what, I do believe in the concept of God. And I'm going to do... He's a mean, I'm saying. Yeah, they do not mean. The point is, why is a Jew that believes in Avodah a Harei Ukegoi, and he's a Mishumad, even if he's keeping all the mitzvot? Right, the thing is that that's the, that's the point that he's saying, because he's saying Mishumad. Mishumad usually means a person who specifically outwardly rejects the religion. This guy isn't doing that, but he has the din of Mishumad. Because essentially, he has excluded himself, because this is an important principle. Mitzvot are not just actions, right? They're not just rituals. Averot are not just sins and taboos that we don't do. This is a system of bringing us closer to like we say every day in the, in, the, in the tefillah. That's what it is. If you don't have that, you are a mishumad. It doesn't matter that you keep mahadrin, badats, and everything. Because you don't have, the purpose of the system is gone, then you don't have it. It's not, it's not like a putting up on of tefillin cannot be meaningful to a person who believes in Abu Zohar. Because its whole purpose is If you don't have that, then how can you how can you say? So he's a mishumad from the ikar. He becomes a mishumad, not from the uh, not from the uh, in the externals. He can look perfectly uh, perfectly religious. It doesn't matter. Right. His religion is not even an observance of Judaism. That's what he's saying. His, just like we say that the Avot were keeping all the Torah, this is interesting, right? Even though we say the Avot were keeping the entire Torah, even though they weren't physically keeping the entire Torah, because they dedicated their life to Yufud Hashem and Ahavat Hashem and Yirat Hashem, we say about this guy that even though he's middakdek bekalake bechamura, and he's keeping nothing, because he doesn't have the Ikar. It's like the, it's the reverse of that, of that Agadah. So interesting. How do we read the first two lines of Hay? Is there a distinction between Israel Shabbat Avodah Zarah and Shabbat Avodah Zarah? Is it two ideas or is that just. Israel Shabbat Avodah Zarah? I don't think so. I think that one sounds like an action, right? It sounds like Shabbat Avodah Zohar Kegoy lechol dvarav Mishumad Avodah Zohar means that he's completely he's uh, committed to it. It's not he didn't just do it one time. He did it one time that already puts you in the category of Kegoy lechol dvarav unless you do teshuvah. Mishumad means you're sold on it. You're, you're, it's your belief. There were some individuals that they accepted Christianity, like uh, but they kept going through their the motions. You know. Like uh, they kept going through the motions of religion. Um, there's a uh, there's an interesting machlok. There's actually a machlok at Achronim about this because the, um, the there's a machlok at the Taz in the in Hilchot Avodah Zohar says until the Jew does an action, 
you know, that Hashem is merciful and, you know, the system is... So therefore, until the person does an action of Avodah Zarah, he's not really considered Kegoy. And the Shach and the Taz have a machloket in your idea in Shulchan Aruch. The Shach says it doesn't sound like that because the Rambam talks about it as being Mo'den Kofer. <coughs> he doesn't talk about it as an action. He talks about it as, as a belief system that changes your halachic status. So they have a machloket about does the halachic status change require being seen, require an action? Because in the framework of halacha, can we say the guy is a Dino Kegoy when the framework of halacha only looks at the externals? The things that can be observable. So the, the, it's a machloket. The, the Taz has a piece in the, in uh, I don't have a Shulchan Aruch here, but in the uh, where, where he says that he brings him some arguments for the position that uh, if you don't actually do an action, so halachically we can't change your status. But the the Shach argues and says no. Once a person has changed their belief system, that's enough. enough. Anyway, but that's for the halachic purposes. Obviously, in terms of your the state of your soul, you're in trouble either way. Could a leftist touch your wine? He believes he believes in a material world where human where the state defines reality. But, you know, I mean, when you when you think through what why is it why is it that leftists are into government control. What's the reason? Because they believe that the only real chokhmah, the only real, is the man, the man's, right? So so in order to make the world good, you, man needs to impose state, a state and, a, and governing principles, uh, and the more they control, the better, because the more, that means the more is regulated for good, because good is only comes from human beings. And that means that the state gives me my rights also. Yeah. My rights come from the state because the state is the imposes the reality human imposes the reality on the world, as opposed to believing that my rights and my dignity comes from Akadosh Baruch Hu, and I organize my community in a way that ref- is supposed to reflect the wisdom of Akadosh Baruch Hu, which should minimize the interference of human agenda, so that I can perceive that should be b- consulting with higher objective standards. Than so whatever we call someone in Obed it means a leftist. No, no. Uh, is it someone who has a non-Torah ideology which is necessarily human-centric because they're only two and, and has acted on it, right? Or well, that's it, in the halakhic Is it technically yeah. someone who's done ishtachabaya to a... Right. So, so, in the, so that's the makhluk in halakha, there's a makhluk, like your question about the wine would be dependent upon the makhlukit between the shach and taz about whether you need to do an action of avodah to have your halachic status changed. We can look it up later. We'll look it up again. We'll look it up. It's kukla mitet. I remember because kalat. Because you liklot at the idea to absorb it. That's how I remember. It's in your, I usually don't remember those things, but occasionally like the... The, uh, yeah, so the so it, we can look at it. That's for the halachic status. But in terms of the person's state of their soul... A materialist who believes that the only source of reality and principle is a human source is obviously, by implication, an Obed Abu Dazarab. He doesn't believe anything beyond the material. You know? Baptism is Abu Dazarab. So I've been saying since the beginning, Rabbi. He's going to get a shirt that says that. But we, we never got a shirt from the first trip with all of our good inside jokes. Yeah. I just hate Abu Dazara so much. Too much to process the But how do we define Fetterman? Where does he fall? Fetterman blows up my whole world. Yeah, it's impossible. I hate the jokes because it helps, like. Fetterman makes no sense. 
Fetterman, Fetterman is, it means that if you take a leftist and you give them brain damage, you get a rational person. So it makes complete sense. What I don't understand is how can an Obed Abu love the people whose sole goal in this world is to negate Abu right. That's why my whole world is falling apart. Right. It's, it's a sense one man. So what, what did we say Amin was again? Well, let's review again. And what did we say Amin, the definition, the technical definition of Amin is? Somebody who has a distorted idea of the Borei Olam. Right? Okay. He says, they cannot achieve the ways of life because they, they have a fundamental block. Yeah, as long as they, they're mean? in that thought process. Right, it doesn't mean you can't accept them in B'tshuva. It means you can't accept them until they get rid of the minut. Right. That was why, by the way, when Rabbi Meir keeps saying to Elisha Ben Abuya, I want to return, he says, I can't. I can't come back. Why? Because I can't get the idea out of my head. So it doesn't make any sense for me to come back and start keeping Tchum Shabbat. I'm out of, you know, even he knew he was so honest with himself in a way that's the greatness of him. You know, he was so honest with himself that he said, if I'm believing Minut, obviously my keeping of Tchum Shabbat and not riding on a horse on Shabbat doesn't mean anything. Right. Me? No, very good. No, that was definitely no pun intended. Okay, go ahead. Shabbat would be the thing that he should keep because that would mean there is a... Look at the metaphors. Tchumim, right? Tchum, the limits. He went past the limit. He's like, I already went past the limit. Right? What is Tchum Shabbat? And the idea of Tchum Shabbat, that Shabbat represents Masim Bereshit, what we can and the creation. And he went past the Tchum of what he could understand. Right? And that's how he got into the trouble. There's no coming back. Right, there's no coming back. It's like there are some of the roads that there's no tshuva from. This would you be could it. do tshuva if you can find your way back. It's just right. not a simple thing. That's what Rabbi Meir was telling you. Once a person... There still is a way for you to... Right, tshuva. you could find the way back. Focus on the Shabbat and not on the Tchum. Focus on the... Focus on what's within... Retreat, basically come retreat back, yeah. into the framework where yeah, you know, leave those kushot you had aside, assume that you didn't resolve them correctly, and retreat back. But sometimes once you open up your mind to certain, certain problems, it's easier said than done. Especially an intellect of the level of Elisha ben to be able to just retreat from his, uh, to be able to just retreat from what he had advanced is not going to be easy for someone like Elisha ben Abuya. He's going to be turning over in his bed at night thinking about these problems. But, right. He felt in his own intellectual development, I can't just retreat back to being a good frumer yid again. Right? I can't ignore the problems that I, I've unearthed. I don't see any other solution for those problems as possible. So therefore... I don't have a way back. It's not worth acting religious. Right, and it's not worth it because I know my religion doesn't mean anything as long as I'm in the framework of minut. You know, and that's... Such a respectable... Yeah, in a way... I think most people that would come to those conclusions would say, okay, I'm just going to keep acting the part. You know, there's a whole, like, community of, like, Hasidim and stuff that secretly are minim and abikorsim totally. And they just are living in the Hasidic community because they grew up with that culture. They, They used to be bloggers online. A few of them who were notorious. Some of them were actually really good writers and really smart, right? But they became complete apikorsim. And the one guy was... I'll never forget this. I couldn't find the blog now. I think all these blogs have been deleted by now. They never showed their real identity. But the guy, during the break on Yom Kippur, went back to his apartment with another apikors chassid. And they had a pork chalent on Shabbat for lunch. 
and then went back to Shul. <laughs> they finished Mincha And it was Cholent. It was Cholent because they didn't, weren't going to cook. They didn't have enough time to cook, probably. They put a Cholent. Like there were people at Kedekach that they were off the derech, but they, the culture they grew up in, they can't leave it, so they go through the motions. But they're minim and mishumadim, I mean, in essence. And of course, we can talk about we can talk about you know uh, what, it, that's the fault of their educational system. That's the fault. Of, it doesn't matter. That's the product. Too. Okay. I was gonna kill me. Sorry. Why did? And here, right next to him, is clear shot. Why did you I have a formulating. Why didn't he uh, try to proselytize Tanami Mayu? According to the, according to some of the Agadot, he did try to go and uh, affect the kids and like uh, in, influence them and start making them question. There's some Agadot. Some Agadot have him just privately uh, struggling. struggling. He seems to be very protective. And some of the Agadot have him like going and trying to influence others. It depends. So it, it, it you know, and I'm sure so, you know, it's probably he was probably mixed. Probably some people saw him as a potential threat, and therefore. Like you're saying that it was an emotional thing that caused him to be on this path. Meaning, you know, he had such an emotional need to see the Torah as giving power. Yeah, from his father, it came from. Now, whenever uh, he saw that it's not necessarily consistent, the power. Then, that's why the Chazal say, "Oh, if only you knew the Drashal, the Mani Arichun Yamet, that means be Yom Shikulo Tov, Yom Shikulo Aroch." It's talking about Olam Haba. So they didn't just say, "Hey, you know, you're mistaking that pasuk." You know why they just corrected? He didn't know a drasha and a pasuk, so he went off the derech. It means his mentality was that the Torah is supposed to bring Rachavat Lachavah Olam Hazeh. That's what it is. And if, it and if not, it's not worth it. Right. And if it doesn't, that means there's two forces. There's some metaphysical, and then there's the physical. There are two contradictory things. They don't work together. So I'm going to leave it up to chance, so right. I don't have to do any more talk. And that's why he left it. But the, the intellectual problems bothering him were valid intellectual problems. It's just that he didn't realize that his inability to solve it was that he went past the realm where he was able to have, a, you know, w- w- where his intellect really should have gone, and that he was motivated by emotional factors. That the Chazal show. Uh, the dangerous is a person is emotionally unstable or has some emotional. Right. Yeah, emotionally ready to start pondering the deeper things. Yeah, if you went one, one of these days, if we read the, 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 the chapters in the beginning of the Moran Abuchim, many of them are about this. Like, people are in a rush to go into these subject areas and they need to, they need to pull back and, and, dis, and, and get disciplined first before they approach that. Because even a highly disciplined thinker, the Chachamim, most of them didn't go into the Pardis. Only very few, and 25% uh, 25% that lost, you know, it's pretty bad. 25% of them went up the derech. One went crazy, one died. Right, 25% success rate is not very good. Yeah, success was 25%. Only one Apikoros out of them, right? Mean, actually. Two Apikoros and Mean, both. Right? Two, uh, uh, two people who suffered permanent trauma, and one guy who was okay. Yatsap Pishalom. It's like, it's not a very... <laughs> right, and those were the elites. The best of the best. Right? <laughs> 
Right, so that's very interesting. They, uh, maybe we should go to the other Beit Midrash. I think they're yeah. Where did Akiva do that made him get through it? Oh, the the Rambam talks about it in the morning book. Yeah. That he he knew what happens in Davar Gadol that's dangerous is that a person like basically what we've been talking about this whole time a person goes into an area where they don't really have the tools to have a positive understand a, a positive conception of that of that subject at that point and they impose from their imagination a, a definition or a conception of that that's really a distortion that's what goes wrong and so when they were walking through the Pardes, it says in the in Masachir Chagiga, he said to them, "Don't say my my, don't say this, don't." Meaning he was telling them certain. Who's he? Rabbi Akiva was trying to help the other, uh, you know, the other Chachamim. Uh, meaning there were certain things where he knew there was a tendency to try to jump to certain conclusions with using the imagination to fill in the gap where really the right answer was this is beyond the uh, beyond the, the scope of the intellect. Right, because what was the what was the greatest gift that the that, that that the Rambam gave to the world? The gift of telling us there are certain things that we can't know. I talked about this one time in Halchot Teshuvah, where the Rambam goes on a long discourse about bechira versus foreknowledge, bechira versus foreknowledge, and he goes through all these examples, and in the end he says it's because God's knowledge is above our knowledge we can't understand it. So what does the Ravad say? The Ravad is like, what is this? This is like childish. He brings in all of this stuff like a child rattling off all these problems and then the end says, no answer. So why don't you, it would be better to say nothing. So, right, so why do you say all this? So why does it, what's the point? Right, not that the Rambam is saying, right, it's, right, not that there is no answer, that I can't give you an answer. There is no answer is the answer. Right, meaning that it's beyond our intellect is the answer. That's the answer. Right? It's not, why is there a whole why is there this whole field called Maase Merkaba? Because there is stuff to know in Maase Merkaba. Is there anything to know? Yeah, of course. It's a field. It's a field. No, no, no. Yes and no. Um, the, yeah, it's 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 go. I'll try to say it like this. Um, no, like, it's, it's good, right. Ma, ma it's like, they started sitting and studying some topic. But, like, the whole topic is to basically just deny that you know it and deny that you can understand it. That's oh, that's funny it. because there's a whole chapter in the Rambam where it says many people think that this idea of negation is just doing that. But it no, says but it's not. But it's, it's, no, it's, a, it's a, how much you can know. It's what can I infer with, from the realm. I'm going to put it as, as much as I can, can say, okay? What can I infer? from within the scope of what is accessible to my intellect, things that are not accessible in a positive way to my intellect, but I can know something by inference about them. Okay? Meaning the way that I can I can see the Darche Hashem, Right? What does it mean? It means from what is accessible to my senses and experience as an intellect, I can infer things about God, but not positive knowledge of God, but I can, from what is within the scope of my knowledge, there are truths that can be inferred that point to things beyond that. 
Okay, so that's why it's so dangerous because when do you move from pointing to things beyond that to trying to say something definite about the things beyond that using tools that are not suited for that and then you get into Avodazar. That's why you're walking on the edge because you're what because it's the only thing you can use is your own intellect up, up until point to go get beyond the point but then using your own intellect beyond that point is Avodazar. I'll give you a very silly example. Don't take this example past what I tell you because it won't work. Okay? Let's say I organize, I, I, I discover how did they infer Malachim? Because they saw how many independent principles or systems seem to be at work in the physical world that require a metaphysical explanation. And therefore, oh, if there are 10, that means there must be 10 malachim. I'm, that's, I'm being very simplistic. So I can organize my study of, uh, of the Maseb Reshit that it points to 10 different causes sub-causes that themselves are caused by God, let's say, right? These malachim that are the sources of these principles, but without, well, maybe, but maybe not, right? That I can infer the existence of these things, but without saying anything positive about those things, okay? I can discover that they exist, that they must exist, from the impact and influence that they have in this world. So, but I have to resist the temptation to say something about them. Well, you're already calling them malachim. Because, because, well, malach just means it's an instrument of God. I, I don't know what that means. I'm not saying anything positive about it, except that it's not physical. We're saying that I can say that there are... I can say that I need to posit the existence of something beyond the physical to explain this, and I posit it. But I'm not saying anything specific about it, because I can't. It's the reason why... And once you do, you end up with things like the Sfirot, which you attach certain images to, certain body parts to them, certain specific qualities to them. That's where you get into the... Uh, your poets, uh, like it says, uh, um, don't tell the people that Kohanim ve'am al Yerusul lifrotzel Hashem. You know, or, they shouldn't come up to uh, the breakthrough. It's in the place where you're trying to get closest in understanding. That's when you make the biggest mistakes. You make a leap and say, oh, well, it must be that. Like, like let's say a person, like you're studying nature and you see all the chasdei Hashem and you say, oh, obviously Hashem is very nice. Right? Hashem is nice. About, I, what? You're, how can you say that? Well, because I see he does many, many nice things. And Hashem is nice. Well, what, what's wrong with saying that? So, what, so you could say that Hashem does nice actions in the world. And you can use the term Rachum as a kind of a metaphor to, to, to capture that in a term. That a person who did that would be a person who is Rachum. But once you start taking that literally, you're already taking something from the physical world because it's psychologically satisfying to describe God in terms that are familiar to us. Instead of just saying, I see that Hashem is Oseh Chesed. But I don't know anything about Hashem And once I do that, I'm extending past. Even if I do that about Malachim, I'm extending past beyond the idea that there are higher and higher levels of explanation that are necessary for understanding the world that I can that I can perceive. Like, I'll give you an example that could be. Let's say physics has certain problem in quantum mechanics, right? 
that causality seems to not be consistent in the realm of quanta. It seems to be statistical and cause and effect breaks down. Could that be because there's actually a level of causality that I don't perceive? Okay, I might be able to infer that. So I'm inferring something higher. Maybe there is causality, but it's a, a causality higher than what I can perceive. Or I can't explain the emergence of the universe in terms of physical law because it is the emergence of physical law. Okay, so there must be a cause before that. But I don't know. I don't know what it is. Okay, so whenever you infer a cause but without naming it, you are staying within your boundary. Whenever you yeah, start it trying like to name it. Yeah, but it's like all the nevuot that we attribute to Masa Merkava, which is the Bargato, give a, actually use human imagination a ton. No, Hashmal, Srafim, Omedim, Raglehem, regularly shout out like. We're fully, we're fully building this whole story of the whole echelons of the heavens out of our human imagination. And then that seems like the epitome of Avodah Zarah, and that's in Atanah. A guy told me once, when I was not religious, I used to think that Yechezkel went on an LSD trip. I can tell you, as someone who does not know Masem Rakaba, that that's not what it is. Or LSD. Uh, there are some things in Masem Rakaba that a person can notice on the Tanakh level that shows you that it's not what you think it is. That's not what? That's not what you think it is. Obviously it's not what you think it is. That's why you're not supposed to study it, because of what you just said. Because yeah. most people will read it and be like, oh, uh, malachim or wheels. Awesome, and head, of a, head of a lion. And there's fire spreading out. When the rock... We shouldn't learn it, because it's going to, you know... I don't. I just want to tell you that um, there are ideas in Masem El that are within the boundaries of where we're allowed to think, and are um, and and they do delineate the boundaries. They do delineate the boundaries, and and part of the uh, part of the Masemar Kava is showing that the that the um, that the the presence of metaphysical reality, the expression of metaphysical reality, is seamlessly worked into the creation, so that it is it is not noticeable. A person can look at the physical universe and not notice it, but that it's there. But I can't go too much into it, but that's it. Is my question, is my question a reasonable question for someone who's been hearing what you're talking about? Yeah, and that's why the Rambam has to make such a big deal of being the Faresh, that Nebuah. And that's why he says, that's why the Chacham, you're asking a question of a Chacham. Because Shelat Chacham Chatsi Chubam. The question of a Chacham is that that's why even a Chacham doesn't really learn Masem Merkava. The average Chacham doesn't learn it because it's a it's a it's a it's entering into areas where reading the Nevuah, you already realize you're dealing with something that if I don't understand this correctly, I'm going to be going into the, off the deep end, right? So my actually. The, the, the Chazal wanted to take Sefer Cheskel out of, out of the uh, publication, right? For that, probably that was part of the Cheshmonot, although they, uh, there was a, they, they didn't want people to be reading Masem Merkava, as well as some other things in there that are weird. And, um, and it's interesting that they did Havuch. 
Because what did they do? They made it the Haftar on Shavuot. Like, they put it out. And, uh, and like, they made it the deepest thing it. they could possibly learn. Right. Well, no, well, that was the reason. They knew that was the deepest thing they could possibly learn, but that's why people... Well, they put it out there. Right, they put it out there in the Haftarah. And and, um, and it's interesting because my, my I, I was once talking about this with my wife, and, my, and she said, she had a good chidush. I always remember. She doesn't remember. I said to her, the, I said to her like, you know, I always quote this great chidush, so I don't remember saying it. I'm like, you said it. This is like 25 years ago. She, she said, maybe they did that because... When you put something out there, it loses that. Right? When you when you say you can't read that book, do not read it. Every single person is going to go to read. Why did you skip that chapter? I want to find out what's in it. Right? So by putting it out there, people are like, okay, if they weren't afraid to hide it, so then I guess it's not anything so, uh, you know. So the person who's smart, they're going to say there is obviously something going on here, and and I can tell from the nature of this nivoire that I'm treading on something like that's on the limits of my uh, intellectual understanding yeah. and it sounds like something very not typical of uh, yeah. uh, of, of the nivoah of any of the nivoah it's obvious when you read right? it's obvious that something with the ofanim regel yishara the different panim I'm not gonna you know the saying the chashmal and also the fact that when they lo yisabu belechtan they don't turn whatever direct there it's like all it looks the same on all the sides and it just slides in different directions with never turn all these different features like what's going on here I don't get it understand it but you know you're dealing you know the difference between when you're dealing with someone who wrote complete Stuyot and when there's something here and I'm not getting it and uh, and maybe at a certain point I'll be able to appreciate some of it but you know not yet maybe <laughs> maybe one day maybe on our our, our 30th anniversary a trip as Radashem when all of you are living in Yerushalayim already and we'll, and you'll have the and the Beit HaMikdash we will go to the Beit HaMikdash in the morning and then we will come to the Beit Midrash and we will sit with the Kohanim and Levi'im and we'll, they will teach us Masa. how about that that's the goal and, and, and now that we said it it has to happen because of Put it out of reality. Because yeah, we put it in reality. We're going to manifest it. Let's manifest. Isn't that what they say? Manifest it. You know what else the Gemara says about Rabbi Akiva? He would go to every teacher, right? He would go learn Agadah from this one, Halakha, he would go to all the teachers, and then he would categorize and, and systematize everything that he learned and organize it in his mind into different, into different like, uh, boxes. That was the genius. And the Gemara says that Rabbi Akiva, he would learn from a lot of teachers. His main teacher was Rabbi Meir, but he would learn from a lot of teachers. Uh, I'm sorry, right. Uh, he's, he's, uh, right, he was the, the previous generation, right. Um, right, Rabbi Meir was the... Rebbe Akiva was the teacher and then a student side and then he had Rebbe Shemarachayim. Right, so they were after him. Rebbe Akiva was, uh, what, it says that he learned from the, uh, not only Nechum Mishkav, who was the other teacher that he had? He had more than one. Right. 
was it one of the five at Bnei Brak, Rabbi Yoshua? Yeah, I think so. Right, Rabbi Yoshua. Right. So when he right because he argues with them, like they have conversation, they have conversations, and he calls them Akiva. Right. So in the in the when he would learn from different teachers, he would take all the different things he learned and he would organize it in his mind systematically. So that shows you a certain type of a mind that most of us are impatient. We just want to collect information. In order, and then Rabbi Yoshua, no? Yeah. Oh, because they sent him when he was because when he was put in Nidui, didn't they send Rabbi Akiva to tell him? Uh, yeah. Right. So they so when they when they put the what what. The idea of putting things into into your mind in an organized way that requires discipline. Right. They, yeah. They, they they when they put things in their mind, when a person puts something in their mind in an organized way, it takes discipline and humility and patience. Right. You're not in a rush. Most of us you just want to like think about the dafyomi mentality. You just want to cover ground, cover a lot of ground. How much of it sticks? Whatever naturally sticks will stick. Right. One one percent at the moment. Right. <laughs> but a person who goes back and collects it in the organ and it looks like this, right? Rebbe Akiva's Torah looked like the this organized system. He was collecting information, but he was organizing it. That shows a discipline and a patience and a humility to work through the material systematically. And it also, like it says, the Rambam also loves the drasha about Moshe Rabbeinu from Masechet Bachot, where it says, because when Hashem revealed Himself at the Sneh, Right, he didn't want to look. Right, he says, "Bizchut vayaster panav bekaran or panav." Right, that he his fate later on because he was humble in the beginning, he didn't want to rush ahead in perceiving everything. Later, he had the highest perception. Bekaran or panav, his face shone. Right, so he says that shows you that what made Moshe Rabbeinu the greatest. There's another thing that Ralbad points out that I really love. I, I always loved it. That when Moshe Rabbeinu is walking by the snare, it says he saw the snare burning. And it tells us Moshe Rabbeinu's inner dialogue. Moshe Rabbeinu suddenly says, I want to turn and look, why does the snare not burn? Right? And then, and then Hashem speaks to him. Right. And then and then Hashem starts speaking to him. So the Ralbag says Hashem right. Right. That, that was the impressive part for Hashem. Right. Right. He's so, curious about this. Right, the Ralbag says that. The Ralbag says you see the great person is curious about this. He sees something and he's curious about it. He wants to he's know. Not go away. He doesn't just say, Oh that's interesting, let's keep going. Right. right. He actually investigates it. Most of us don't have the patience. We don't have the patience. So he takes it in. But then when he sees something that might be above the limits of his intellect, he doesn't say, I can take it. Give it to me. I want to see it. I want to see it all. He says, you know what? I'm not ready for this. I want to stop where I'm ready. And that's why at that level, he was still not at his full level of nivuah. Because he was still getting an imagery nivuah. He was still having visions. Right? Even the Ibn Ezra said in the uh, in Yonah, when we read the Ibn Ezra the other day, he said, Moshe Rabbeinu b'tchilat nivuato, he was still getting it in dreams and visions. Not panim el panim. So he held himself back, and because he held himself back, you think you're losing something, you gain it. It's like a person who wants to learn a skill. If they try to rush ahead in the skill, and they don't build the foundation, a good teacher drills you on the foundation a million times until it's so solid. 
that when you build to the next, I have one student, he may one day listen to this recording, he'll probably recognize himself, right? Who said, I don't want to, I'm not learning any Torah Shabbat until I master the Tanakh. I'm going to learn it multiple times perfectly with the Dikduk. I want to master the Tanakh. And then I'm going to graduate into the Rambam. He, learned, he was learning just like and the Tanakh till he really mastered it. He's like, he, I know that Gemara is tempting, this is tempting. I'm going to master it. He mastered he, a student of mine that I had. Um, and he's, uh, I don't necessarily want to say his name. Now he's like, he's gone to the next level. He's doing Rambam. And his foundation is so solid that he's, he's really learning in a systematic, disciplined way all, all the Torah, so it's becoming, uh, you know, he's really seeing really seeing the, the product of it. And that's what Rabbi Akiba did. He went back to first grade or kindergarten and built the foundation. Like said, when you build the foundation, and you're not in a rush. He didn't say, I'm not going to first grade. I'll, I'll skip to seventh grade and I'll try to catch up by getting notes from the people who are there. That's what it means. He started learning. Right. That's why he survived the Pardes, because he wasn't... He built his foundation from to the explore things that he wasn't ready for. And he organized his learning in a systematic way. He didn't say, okay, I got that sure, let's go to the next year. Right. No, 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 wait, wait. The and the rock also. They, uh, my teacher that I got Smicha from, Rabbi Chi, they said about him, he would go to like the shiur of Rav Salavechik only once a week or something like that. Like, not every day. And then, but he would come back to the shiur and he would be anticipating what was going on in the shiur and he would be asking these questions. And everyone's like, you only come once a week. How do you know that? Because he would go and spend the rest of the time working out how did he get to this? Right? Reviewing it and trying to work out how did he get to this? So he learned the method underlying it. Whereas most people, they hear a nice chidush, by the next day they don't even remember. So he wanted to, to, it takes patience and humility and discipline to develop the skill. If you've learned to play a musical instrument, you know that. If you don't perfect the basic scales on the instrument, you can't advance to the next level. There's a story about a guy, there's a book called uh, The Art of Teaching. It's a very old book. Very old, like classic book. People critique it because it comes from a very old-fashioned perspective. But there's a story he brings in there about a music teacher who was like the most boring music teacher of all time who would teach, like, I think it was piano, by like teaching the same, forcing the person to drill the same piece for like years. You know, and it would be like torture, they, but they came out the best players. There's this guy the, yeah. uh, on the Knicks, Jalen Brunson. So he, he doesn't have like the body type of a player. He's, he's like six two, but he's like a little bit stumpy. Like not, he doesn't have a typical prototypical type. But his father every day for like 15 years, the first 15 uh, like from three until 18, every day made him do the same drills. And he's like, I don't want to do this anymore, but he would fight through and he would like run up to the foul line and shoot and then run up to the three-point line and shoot. The same motions over and over and over again. And he never understood why his, his father is now the assistant, assistant coach on the Knicks. And he like, he's like, through that, I realized how to perfect the shot. And he's a very good player and he's short and he's stumpy and he, he shouldn't be good, but he's like one yeah, of the best players in the league. That's funny, see? It's the same actions over and over. So uh, nature versus nurture, there you go. But that's... Uh, it really explains why... It's too bad that... Throwing a ball through a hoop does nothing for humanity. <laughs> but it goes to show how much goes to show how much the mitzvot are there to prepare us mentally. That's what the Rama says. Miyashvin datoshel adam tchila. Mentally and, and limud Torah, learning the discipline of thinking through a subject. The Ramchal really, I mean, the Rambam is the product of that. 
the Ramchal in his books on logic really shows you how to do that. You know? It's very beneficial to Yeah, so Vachena Minim Yisrael. Enam Kisar Advar Minatvari. Right? So the eighth point. Right. What happened? Let that settle. Right, so the point is that the mean. The mean is is the same as the uh, is the same as the uh, uh, as the as the right? He has a distortion in his concept of God, then and therefore they can't be accepted in Teshuvah. and they're the ones. Have, and it's very interesting. What does he do here? That's really interesting because he gives us a definition of a mean later on. That the mean is the person who believes in a physical God or who believes in no God or whatever. Here he says, That's not what he says that mean is later. Right? A mean is not a, uh, a person who goes in, the, in all the Ikarim. It's a person who believes that God is physical. Or God believes in person who believes in two gods. Right? Here he's changing the definition on us. He's saying it means a person who is uh, who is Eventually he violates the Okay, that's what a mean is. That's not what a mean is. This is how the mean got there. Right. So, but, so what does that show you? What's the last line here? mean the thought of the mean leads to Abadazar. Okay? The thought of the mean leads to Abadazar. That's what he's saying. In other words, the, the point is that this derech of Machshavah, the disorganized, psychologically based, um, emotionally based thinking, intuitively based thinking, will lead you to Abadazar. That's why he's saying the minim are these people that think about the ikarim in a disorganized way, in a haphazard way. Really? That's what I mean? You told me a mean is a person who believes God is physical. It will lead to that. Right? He's saying it will lead to him being over al al and saying shein bazavon. Right? It's going to lead him to a materialistic conception of God and therefore a materialistic conception of life because, because think about it. Uh, think about how they go together because even this is the person who rejects the Torah but think about even the person who keeps the Torah if I believe God is physical I can only interpret mitzvot as magical because if, if the mitzvah is in order to bring me to Yidiyat Hashem V'yichudo V'ahavato then it can be spiritual but if there is no metaphysical to reach so it can only be understood in the physical so it has to be a magical amulet that's going to make my life uh, better it's going to make me prosperous it's going to make me prosperous and my mezuzah can only be to protect my physical life. Which is like the Rambam says when he talks about the mezuzah, the people that put the shemot of the... Uh, we've learned that many times, shemot of malachim. That not only are they not fulfilling the mitzvah, but they're turning something meant to bring you to... Uh, uh, beyond the physical into something that's protecting the physical body. It's, right? it's, it's, you're using it to give an illusory permanence to the physical and importance to the physical instead of helping you realize that beyond the physical is what's important. So that's the, that's why I'm saying the machshevet min is it's going to trend towards avodah Ultimately, he's going to come to a conception of, if he's doing this kind of discipline, lack of discipline, intuitive, emotionally based, psyche based, comfort based thinking, and says, I can't accept that idea because it's not comfortable for me, then he's going to end up in obed avodah Question. It seems like a lot of the ability to steer clear of Abu Dazara is contingent on a very strong 
self-awareness. Like you have to realize I have this tendency to go to the lowest common denominator of thought or to think according to my emotions or whatever psychological issues I have as opposed to recognizing that I can't understand or that I may be thinking in ways that are comfortable rather than true, right? How? But self-awareness is... Is it something that's cultivatable or like to what extent is the ability to recognize yourself or perceive yourself? It, it feels like there's a wide spectrum of how self-aware people are. And it's like how many people are even misugal to have the level of self-awareness to recognize that they are doing Avodah? That's what the Torah helps you with. I mean, I think that's, that's the whole point. The Torah is supposed to guide you to that. Otherwise Does it wouldn't actually guide in the specific area of cultivating self-awareness? If it's learned correctly. In what sense? That what we're learning right now. Meaning if you were learning this like we should be, then we would learn that. People who don't learn the Rambam and they say, let's just shtag in the Toysvist about uh, some detail in Halakha, they're not going to learn. They're not gonna I'm not saying the shtagging is bad, I'm just saying they're going to be missing. Can, can a person be trained in the art of self-awareness or is that something like that? That's what this type of discipline thinking, that's what the Rambam means, that's what it's supposed to do. That's why they're supposed to first learn mitzvot systematically, logically, carefully. You learn the importance of thinking in a disciplined way. But you have to become self-aware. Like what I, I meant, I should mention this. There's another. I think it's in. I think it's in Yoma. Think so. Um, that when the, when the, the Chazal saw the Yetzirah of Avodah Zarah, where did it come out of? The Kodesh Hakodeshim. Right? Huh. That the Yetzirah for Avodah Zorah came out of the Kodesh HaKodeshim. Which means when it... So what, does, what is the more mystical or Kabbalistic interpretation of that? Oh, in the highest... Le- in the moments of highest purity and Kedushah, the Satan is Mekatreg and comes and messes it up. Right? But what is the... What, how can we translate that into the Rambam's terms? It's not incorrect. It's just using a metaphor for something that you don't need a metaphor for. It's a, the, you don't need to explain the metaphor with another metaphor, right? Skip right to the point. The point is, at the very moment that you're approaching the most transcendent and most fundamental ideas, that's when the Yetzirah of Avodah, that's when the temptation of Avodah is the greatest. The risk, and the, because that's when you're going to be most tempted. You're going to, you're going to see the most that you can't understand and try to, and try to, try to implement it anyway. It's, it's, it's a very but, but I don't see a correlation between Shmirat HaMitzvot and the development of self-awareness well it's not just the it's not the bodily Shmirat HaMitzvot it's a learning it's a, it's a reflective life it's, it's a reflective life it's a reflective life right because the Mitzvot and that gives you a framework for how to lead a life not just think about it think about how thinking about what you're doing how did God and that's we're, we're, we're expecting more about you're, you're, you're not, you're not yeah. doing your, what, you, what you think you should be doing. You're, you're doing something that's beyond you. Meaning it's strengthening the part of your brain that's saying, I have the desire to do this. But I can withhold that temptation. I have to, I have to reflect on the, on, the right, on the right thing. And then as you reflect on every action that you do all day, right. you're constantly thinking about yourself. And that's the... That, 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 that self-awareness. Enlarges yourself. It's a life of thought. It's a life of thought. It turns right. life into, a, into wow. an adventure of thought. And then, so it's yeah. actually the whole essence of keeping halakha. I mean, not the essence of it, but... It, it's the whole thing is a practice in developing self-awareness or, or at least one of the byproducts is that it greatly enlarges your self-awareness by constantly forcing you to be aware of what you're doing. Right. Yeah.
make you think about, about what it, make you question it. Brings up halachic questions that you're engaged. And then once you're once you're a man of halacha who you all day are constantly thinking, am I am I doing what my temptation wants me to do, or am I or doing something that's reality. objective, objectively that's right? Then you're trained enough to recognize. To get to oh, I'm thinking, is much I'm thinking too far right now, or I'm, I'm going to I'm, I'm inserting my imagination here, and I, I recognize that I'm doing that because I'm so well trained in, in seeing. Or perceiving how I'm acting, and the way you learn Torah will train you also how to deal with intellectual topics in that same way. So you're you're constantly looping back. You're looping from the engagement with the practical world to thinking about the the halacha and the Torah in a theoretical way back to the practical world. Like it's, it's a loop back and forth. That constantly, the person you see that you know when we talk about even the, the brachot of Kriyat Shema, it talks about Torah mitzvot. Right, all of these things are a system together to keep the person constantly involved. Although the Torah umanato person of Rabbi Shimon Yochai b'Chavirav, they didn't necessarily need the uh, their minds were completely uh, Torah all the time. But for the average person, they need a way that in their practical life they're constantly encountering halacha. They're constantly encountering the reality of, of Torah. So they so that brings them again and again. Or look at how Boaz to go to circle back to what we did on day one. Look at how Boaz tried to instill in the people an awareness of God by having a hanhaga that you should say Hashem uh, all the time. To elevate people's awareness of, of God in, in their daily social interactions. So they didn't lose that anchor in an awareness of God. It works. I think one of the... One of the, like the I, I thought what you were getting at was meaning and not seeing in Shmirat uh, Mitzvot, getting to awareness of Hashem was because one of the problems that you, you can see with like mainstream Yadu is that it's overly focused on perfor- like, like ritualistic performance of the mitzvah out of the, out of the for the sake of not being not being aware. Meaning, you're, it's it's the fear of punishment approach to or the, to or the desire, desire for to, yeah, or the desire. I'm for building my seventy-two, the 72 coffees. Equally proud. But but I say we're getting. I'd say, but that still should train you in. What was it? Even desire for star would be like a little bit more elevated. But like what you, what you end up seeing is that avoidance of punishment. Is avoidance of, it's a fear of punishment approach. And what ends up happening with that is that sometimes in, the, the push from well-intentioned people will be that in order to get people not to sin, will give them, in, at the very least, incomplete or even sometimes problematic frames for keeping the mitzvah in order to get them not to not to transgress. But what happens is that you've now entered them Like what Chava did, where she said, like the famous thing that she's, the snake says, Oh, the, the, or you're not supposed to eat the tree. She said, we're not allowed to even touch it. Right. right? So she, she makes it a psychological thing. I'm not, that, that's the whole thing. She, she took the, 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 the rule and added an additional layer that wasn't really from Hashem. Yeah, it I, became I would, a taboo. It's, I can't even touch it. I would say like even, I'm not even talking about like, like being bound to a seat. I'm talking oh, about like, for example, even with a, with a mezuzah, like talking about a mezuzah, like, oh, you need a mezuzah in your house because... It protects your your house, you know, and your if your mezuzah is pasul, it's because, oh, because it's going to cause. Yeah, they're because they're not going to do it. It won't be actually, buried in a Jewish cemetery if you get a tattoo. Right, exactly. It's you, not you, the reason. It's not the reason you've taken because you're afraid of somebody transgressing. 
transgressing, you've taken it outside of the framework that could, that brings them. You lower the mitzvah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lower yeah but even in, even in the in the lowest sense, like the way Nashim and Tanim keep mitzvot, which is I'm scared I'm gonna burn in hell. It's necessary. Um, it still cultivates a lot of suffering because, because it's very hard for me to get up from Inyan. So I recognize that I have this temptation the to sleep. And then I'm like, oh no, I don't want to burn in hell. So now I'm going to go. But at least you thought that I have. At least you thought my body's telling me to sleep and I'm getting up and going against it. Meaning it still, it still is admirable. It's just, I guess, maybe not as yeah. You know who right, Yaron Oven is like fire and brimstone rabbi? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. he's like 10 times worse than any of these other like really? rabbis. He's all fire and brimstone stuff. Like, really. And he made a movie of Gehinom the movie. It's like a, it's like a Hollywood level production. You're like uh, Dante's Inferno. Showing all the fires. Have you ever seen this? I actually know what it looks like. It's so funny to materialize. Dante's Inferno. I wouldn't put it past him. He also made a one, he also made a, made a wonderful video where he said that the Jews actually uh, the, the Jews actually did bring the deserve the Holocaust because you know they were actually they were actually ruining the moral purity of Germany. Just like, white supremacist propaganda. You didn't hear about this? They started taking his video and using it. It's like, see, this ra- rabbi admits Jews deserve Holocaust. Like Orthodox rabbi says. Right, Orthodox rabbi. My other favorite is, as an Orthodox Jew, I do that. I celebrate Christmas. Yeah. What? Uh, th- those are my favorite arts. Someone, someone sent me this hilarious video. This rabbi, like, soul fire and Oh, you're talking about the screaming rabbi? What's yeah, his name? Baruch, Abraham Baruch. The white, the white beard. Oh, yeah, he's awesome. I like that. He's so fun. Abraham Baruch or something? But Oh, which one? Oh, the Hamotzi right? No, I don't know what he was talking about. Like, um, when he started yeah. screaming, he started freaking. Yeah. Who sent? There's some really good, um, like really good, like uh, subtitle sort of memes of his screaming. Like, this is how I feel when you know. Whatever. Well, by the way, there's 70 million videos of which of the Baruch is something Baruch, right? It's not him either. There are 17 trillion videos in my phone. Rabbi, the, so this, all this being in order to like fr- give us like the proper ago. frame to continue learning, or to continue to keep learning. It's one, and it being positioned, again, in Sefer Ramadan, like the beginning of Mishnah Torah. Um, I mean, it, it all fits perfectly with the physical opening of the sukkah. You said that. Oh, as the Because it, oh, it, uh, this... Learning this and, and framing this properly now allows for you to approach Yid Yad Hashem. Right, the problem, you know, the problem is not necessarily with people that at the beginning, like the Ramam talks about in, uh, in the beginning of Perkhelek, the intro to Perkhelek. He says, you know, the idea of gradual education. That you, you know, first you give the child candy to learn a pasuk. Then you give him shoes to learn uh, more than a pasuk. Then you give him, you know, something more. Then you say you'll have kavod if you learn Torah because he will honor you. And then eventually he wants it for his own, its own sake. He says that's what the Torah does. It gives you a carrot to lead you on the right path. Uh, tries to get you to follow the mitzvot. And then eventually you love it for its own sake. Right? But that, that presupposes and requires... See, that works only in an educational system that that is understood by the top people and that they're looking to push you Ouch. in that direction. 
Right? If the person at the top also thinks that the purpose of the mitzvah, right, also is looking for a material reward, so then you're not going to be able to break that glass ceiling. You know, you're only going to go as high as the highest level. So if he's looking for that, if Elisha ben Abuya is your uh, is the top, so then the highest you're going to go is to a more refined idea of what the, what olam has their goodness, a long life of dignity and respect and kavod. You know, some like more like that's what he because he saw Kutzpita Mitzrugeman's tongue. You know, the, the lack of kavod of Torah, or he saw the kid that could have had a long life, his life was extinguished. You know, so he's thinking. He's not thinking in the most base material work, uh, sense, but he's thinking of material things, the most noble kind of physical thing. So if that's the highest you can get, so then people are never going to break out. You have to nudge people to mature out of that to an appreciation for Torah. They have to know what the goal is, you see. In other words, what does it mean, like the Tosfot asked the question, it says, but in another place it says, in another place it says that uh, somebody who's learned Torah, so, he, so the Tosfot tries to explain, oh, well, that's talking about a guy that uh, is lomed le kanter. He's just learning to bother people. So that's why he's And the person who's learning regularly is okay. But I think there's a different answer to the, to the contradiction. It's not, but I think there's a simpler answer. That a person who's lomed shelolishma right? He'll reach the Shema is when he knows in the back of his mind that his motive is not the ideal motive. He knows that eventually he's going to develop that level. He knows that that's the goal. The goal is to become like that. Right? The person who's Lomit should know this one because it's an academic discipline for him. This is the or or and he gets kavod being a professor. Or that he thinks it's gonna bring in material things. And that's all there is, and he doesn't have any idea beyond that. That person is Noach Noshiloni because he's taking the the vehicle that can bring people to a transcendent life and recognition of values beyond the, beyond the physical, and he's making it into a tool for the physical, the worst thing. Noach Noshiloni But a person who's Lomed Shalom Dishma, he knows he's like I'm not at the level yet. I still enjoy the the, the material benefits or the kavod or whatever that the Torah gives me. You know, I know that's not the ideal. I, I'm striving to be a true Ohev Hashem. That person, he'll reach the Lishma because he's trying to get there. But he has to have that and he has to have role models of people who do that. And, and, and people who live that way. I feel like the, uh, the issues that we have with the. Is that They're going to give us popcorn. It smells so good. It does. I feel like the Nothing smells better than fresh popcorn. Sorry. The issues with like the modern, like the things you're bringing up, like the way that things are taught today, I feel like it's, I mean, maybe it's just because like I'm biased and we learned it, but like the issue that Enosh was trying to deal with was Torah for the masses, essentially. Meaning, that's the same issue that we're dealing with today. Like, how do you make this palatable for everyone? And it's like, by default, it has to be done now, in a sense. And the issue is that the Chachamim of Enosh who forgot, ended up forgetting the real reason for the Surot's. It's like the teachers that we have are also forgetting the real reason for dumbing it down. Yeah, so get, and that, that, make, that actually, for, and they actually forgot what the non-dumbed down version was. Right, right. right. Yeah, that is the, yeah. that is the, yeah. Like imagine the difference between a person, like a rabbi, let's say is in a community and gives drashot. And to him, his drashot that are, people find very entertaining and inspiring are the height of Torah. 
right? Versus a rabbi who says, I give drashot that connect that the people connect to, but I have a plan. I'm going to start with these drashot, and I'm going to gradually move the people more and more to a real understanding of Torah by, in the beginning, sneaking in little points that are beyond that, and then sneaking in a few more, and then gradually maturing the level that I'm presenting them and carrying them along with me, and I have a whole plan. I'm going to start, at, I'm going to start here, but I'm going to move it, and I know exactly where I'm going, and I'm going to mature. That's a real, that's a real teacher. Right? But when the, when the teacher, when the teacher himself, yeah, yeah, when the teacher himself doesn't have that higher conception, they actually think that the gematria and the and the drashot and the and the and the forts and everything that is that, that that's taught. Then that person is not going to be able to guide other people any higher than that. Or maybe he knows that a fort isn't Torah. He knows that most of the rabbis they know that's the gematria. But the ultimate Torah is to get them to sit and learn the Gemara all day long, or to learn Gemara Rashi Tosfot, which is like the highest. To them, that's that's, that's the highest. Not to reach higher than that. Not to have an organized understanding of the mitzvot. Not to integrate that with an understanding of Tanakh. Not to come to a Yediyat Hashem Amitit. That's they're not even thinking of that. So that person isn't going to be on that track at all. And that's one of the things, like, I was very fortunate. I fell into, by an accident of geography, the only Jewish school in my neighborhood growing up was a Jewish school that happened to be, like, founded on the princip- on these principles. So, like, yeah, they were learning Gemara with us, and they were learning, but it was with an eye to lead towards a real understanding. And that's what that, those are the values that got instilled in put together that school. It was put together by my teacher, Rabbi Rosenthal, I talked about before. He's still here? That he's the Shalai. Thank God. And uh, he, uh, that I used to also like, became a chavruta later in life. Like, he used to live near me, and we both liked to get up early, so we had like a 4.30 in the morning chavruta on, uh, on Shabbat. So uh, he's like my first teacher, and like the person that I credit with, he saved my life, because he, he caused me to fall in love with the Torah, but he created an, more than causing me to fall in love with it, he created an institution that allowed me to also be exposed to other teachers. Like Rabbi Sachs was a teacher there. He was the highest Jewer there. And his teacher was Rabbi Chaim. But so like, and who, who eventually became my, you know, the, the rabbi that gave me smicha. So from this tradition, basically, my school was created. You know, but I, uh, but I'm just very thankful because because I lived out in the middle of nowhere in Suffolk County, the only Jewish day school, Orthodox Jewish day school, was that one. So I just ended up in that track and having that blessing of people who really understood like what it's about and, and I was able to, I never had to like save, be released from the uh, shackles of the Haredi education or from the, or any of the education with, without a, not founded on a Yidiyat Yichud Hashem. I think I that's have the that. favorite uh, law, is that the frame of Torah Rishma, it's so fascinating that like, there is a there is a, a focus in on learning Lishma, except we translate Lishma as learning for its own sake. Enjoy, right. Lishma means enjoying learning Gemara. Yeah. Right, not, that's what they think. Not Lishma, enjoying Lishma, learning Lishma, that's what they mean. Let's learn for the purpose of Yediyat Hashem. That would be amazing. That would, that would change the, what you learn. That would change yeah. what you learned, the way you learned it, the order that you learned on it. It learned it. Everything would change. And, it, and, and you know what's sad? You know what's sad? The Rambam says everybody says this. Chobot Alivavot says this, and the you know and Sadia Gaon says it, and the Rambam says it, and the Ramchal says it. Everybody says it. 
but because in our imaginative framework, the same chet. The chet of Enosh is still alive and well. So instead of listening to what the Rambam, Chomot Olevavod, and every one of the Gdolim said of the last time, instead of listening to that, we're seeing what was Rabbi Akiva's end game. Was his end game just knowing the halakha? No, his end game was the Fardes. That was that was goal. Instead of seeing that, we decided to go into our imaginative framework and our image of Torah Lishma is two guys excitedly learning the Gemara. That's it. For, and loving it. And enjoying it, which is good. And getting very excited. The passion is good. I like the passion. I like the passion. The passion is good. Why can't I? I've been looking at the Gemara. 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 I've been looking at the Gemara